to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's get another week going. It's a foggy Monday afternoon in the city of Calgary as we welcome you to Pinder and Steinberg after a weekend with, once again, no sports. Pinder, what day are we into the sports apocalypse? You're the guy keeping track of this, and you can throw out any number, and uh, I'm going to believe you at this point. Day 19 of the sports apocalypse. I I wonder when it's going to get, like, it's lean, but somehow the show hasn't felt lean. Maybe like uh, it's it's this medicating I'm doing on the side. Maybe it's uh, that I don't know what day of the week it is usually. Maybe it's being cooped up at home with my children. But Back I, the I don't truck really... up. What do you mean there? What uh, what medicating on the side are you talking about? Well, you know, I feel like cocktail hour starts a little earlier when you're in a <laughs> pandemic and you got nothing to do and you know you're not going to be driving your car. And uh, all kinds of other legal activity, Pat. I don't know. Um, Maybe the show is lean on content, but I feel like we've done well in terms (laughs) of having good good shows, full shows. And I don't know when that uh, this is going to become a war because it doesn't feel like a war yet. But I also wouldn't be surprised if someone told me, hey, next Wednesday, that's going to be a war to come up with a show. Yeah, the good news is, is that we've got, We've always got something to talk about. Like, for instance, I finished the Tiger King this weekend. So we always have something to talk about. We've always got – there's always going to be something that we can kick around. And it's funny, you've, you've brought this up on our numerous conference calls with the boss and, and Logan when we do the we – we try to link up a couple times a week just to, you know, make sure that we're staying on top and everybody feels supported and and you know that pinder's doing okay and he's okay still doing the show and logan's still cool coming into the station by the way a huge tip of the hat to logan to riley to patrick to kyle to uh melissa our uh five producers who have come into the station and left their houses and and as radio we are an essential service and uh have come in and kept our station on the air a huge tip of the hat to those five human beings in particular because uh, we wouldn't be able to continue doing this without you guys so just wanted to throw that out there but you know we have these conference calls and and pinder every time you're like you know what i I think this is making us better broadcasters i think that we're actually doing a pretty good job of you know growing as radio guys because we we usually especially at this time of year content is is gifted to us on a plate playoff races and playoff series and all that like that type of stuff is just given to us whereas right now we are scrounging and clawing and scrapping for content and uh trying to trying to make the best out of very very little right now so i think you're right we probably are probably when we come out of this thing we probably will be better broadcasters when it's all said and done so you powered through tiger king at last chat you would watch zero episodes and you've now gassed all seven of the entire uh, two on Friday. Series, I, guess. I I got into one on Friday, but two on Friday, um, <laughs> then four on Saturday, and finished it off yesterday afternoon. So uh, I Woo. powered through seven Tiger King episodes, and I got to be honest with you, the are seven hours of television I ever sat through. Like just, it's bonkers. Uh, the there's like Say that again, all the people interviewed up. in Profield. What's that? Just the say it again because you cut out right when you were making your point. Oh but. yeah, 
the the Just most start fresh again bizarre with your reaction. Yeah, the most bizarre seven hours of television I've ever seen in my life. And like, <laughs> there wasn't one normal person, or maybe there might have been one or two normal people that were interviewed the entire. Like, even the people with normal professions, like the one guy's lawyer. Or some of the other people, even the the police officer who was uh, profiled about one of the the potential murder cases, like none of these people are normal. Uh, the 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 Southern United States is a different world, my friend, and that was a a, a pretty good uh, profile of the Southern United States. I'm just trying to think of like, and maybe this is over everyone's head. Screw it, it's pandemic radio. It's what everyone's talking about on social media. And if you haven't, go ahead and set your uh, your streaming eyes and your your binge TV watching to the Tiger King because it's 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 just an absolute charade. It's a circus, uh, actually almost literally in many ways. But I just try to imagine the setting for this show anywhere else in the world. I just don't think anyone else would allow it. Like I don't know another country where you can just have 170 to 230 large cats in cages that you just watch over on your own with very little like legislation on how to treat them or anything like it's it's insane it's not so and it is a, a lot about what that part of the world's about and it's also just if you could come up with the craziest type of human by occupation or interest it's probably big cat collectors are the craziest people on earth <laughs> and where are you how far into it are you I would be done, but my challenge is my wife keeps falling asleep halfway through. So we can't get at this stuff until the boys are down to bed. And I don't know if it's happened to other parents or not. Feel free to loop us in 960-960. But turning into night owls, like the kids that are normally asleep by 830 have been up past 10 a lot and are sleeping in. So the days start later. And so by the time you get them down and, you know, clean up the, the hurricane that they've left behind and then settle in for an episode – Mama bear is getting pretty tired and she usually nods off halfway through the episode. So I finish it, but that, that means the next night we got to start at the halfway mark of the one I've already watched. And then she falls asleep halfway through the second one. And then it's like, it it feels like we're, we're moving at a snail's pace here. So we should be done. I've watched seven hours of it. It's just a lot of, it's been something I've already watched. So we're through five episodes. Uh, the, the park is starting to deteriorate a bit and Joe has just seen his political, uh, escapades, uh, perhaps turn not as fruitful as, as he's hoped. And there's been uh, relationship changes for him. I'll, I'll leave it at that, trying not to spoiler alert too much. Yeah, don't uh, don't put too many spoilers out there. Just, yeah, it's, uh, there, and, and it, just so much of it makes you uncomfortable and cringy. Like, there's polygamy and there's, like, there's, there's cringeworthy treatment of these majestic animals and, Humans too. Teeth and drug use <laughs> and just all of it just makes you. It's just like you, you finish watching it and you just you've got a cold sweat going on. And and Luke writes in on the text line nine six zero nine six zero. I keep thinking the show is scripted and the people are all people are all fake, but no one could ever write this thing. It's so true. Like how, how yeah, that's good. Shot down. Ever write something like that? You couldn't. This is too ridiculous. Get out of here with your nonsense. Uh, and that's what makes it compelling. It's not, you know, the, the most incredible, captivating, you know, quick paced, like it's not a perfect series, but what it really is, is just this window into this insane universe that these appear to be normal humans, but nothing about anything going on is normal. It's just, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's the sideshow of 
of the lives these humans are living. It's, it's insanity. Anyway, that, uh, that's been big in terms of uh, killing the, the, the downtime in the pandemic. And the other one, Patty, I don't know if you saw it. I put a little, uh, a little snap out there. My boys are officially into Star Wars. That's uh, we watched half of episode four. That's right. So that I've never been a massive uh, Star Wars guy, but you, you'd certainly have to respect the uh, the sphere and the magnitude of the brand. Uh, so a New Hope, which I believe came out in 1977. Uh, you know, we, we started out building started out building Star Wars Lego the X-Wing Lego piece. And we did that to the John Williams score like the from the original Star Wars X-Wing? movies. It's like uh, ages four and up. So it's there's there's certainly a more complex Lego oh, one. It's than not the, like uh, the, the advanced, X-Wing. it's not the advanced no. $250 X-Wing because that thing looks No, it, it would be probably less than 200 pieces. It's probably like a, like 100 okay. pieces and there's an X-Wing it's and some sort of launch X-Wing. station okay. where they can send projectiles. It's a kid's themed one. And there's Luke Skywalker and there is a stormtrooper and R2D2 were all very exciting things for the boys. We listened to the, the scores from the, the first episode. So the, the star Wars music is playing in the background. And next thing you know, I've subscribed okay. to Disney plus and we're streaming it while uh, we're, we're eating popcorn on the couch. So we're halfway through episode four, which is the first ever star Wars and uh, boys are so in. You're going to go, it's you're going to cool. go, are you going to go in like chronological order as to how the movies came out or are you going to go, and obviously you're not going to go in chronological order of how they're placed in the Star Wars continuum. Right. And I don't even know. I mean, maybe it's just me, but as soon as I saw Jar Jar Binks, I was done with the prequel. So I just, maybe it's just four or five. Okay, so here's as, as a Star Wars, in. as, as a Star Wars nerd, um, okay. I think the important ones to watch are obviously the original three are crucial of the three so four, prequels, five, six. Four, five, six are crucial. Seven, eight, nine are are important too because you want to see the the finishing of the saga. Of the prequels, I think number three is must watch because you get the genesis of Darth Vader, you get the breakdown of the Republic, okay. you get how the the dark side and and the Empire came to rise. So that's important. If you're a real nerd, number two is interesting because it does give you some backstory about some of the stuff that is mentioned in the middle three episodes. But it's it's there's a lot of cheesiness. The love story's vomit worthy, and Jar Jar Binks <laughs> exists. So the number one, yeah. just forget number one happened. Don't watch it. Number two. Good. Is a eh, you can number three is a must, and Rogue One is a must. Um, it, Rogue Which One is, is was the first that's the first non uh, like non affiliated movie of the like it's not part of the three trilogies, it's right. a companion piece, and it fills in the gap between episode three and episode four. It fills in how Ooh, the Rebel okay. Alliance got the plans to the Death Star and was able to get them to Princess Leia, and it's, it ends right as the first movie, or A New Hope, starts. So Rogue One right. is crucial watching, too, if you've never done Star Wars. It's also okay. the but best yeah. Darth Skip Vader we've one. gotten. Rogue One Rogue is one the best Darth Vader. Good. Yeah. It was really good. And, and you know what? Here's what I didn't know, and I found this out yesterday. I didn't even click, but I just finished watching Narcos Mexico, which is a great, great series. Um, mm-hmm. And Narcos Mexico, the guy who plays um, Miguel, uh, the, the main character, uh, Felix Gallardo, yep. 
he plays the main character in Rogue One. I didn't even know that. And I was like, it blew my mind when I saw that. The guy who plays the most notorious Mexican drug lord in the history of mankind also plays one of the heroes in Rogue One, which was uh, certainly something to wrap my head around. So uh, Rogue One is must-watch, though, just to finish off my okay, this is good. Uh, trip down Nerd Highway. This is good. This is really good. And by the way, don't text us at 960-960, but spoiler alerts, A New Hope came out in 1977. If you haven't seen it, you're not seeing it, so screw off. Uh, and what are the other companion pieces? Because Mandalorian came out. That was the one that Disney Plus launched with as the big Mandalorian's hook. good. Clearly. I enjoyed it. So, and then the other is companion other more? movie is – there's one other companion movie. It's Solo, and that's the Han Solo origin Pre- okay. story, which is – Man. Yeah, it was just okay. Like, if you're a Star Wars nerd, you'll like it. But, yeah. I mean, compared to Rogue One, not close. Like, Rogue One was right. unbelievable. And... It gave you goosebumps, and, and it was it was incredible. Solo was just okay. And Mandalorian was the Boba Fett story, right? The bounty hunter? No, Mandalorian or is no. set after... Logo, help me out. But I think it's set during the time frame of the final three movies, and okay. it is uh, it, it comes after Return of the Jedi, I believe. And it is the story of Boba Fett's race or or species, but not about Boba Fett specifically. OK, OK. Very good. good. See, I this is good. It. I needed this uh, this this backdrop because I was clearly was familiar with four, five, six and then the three of the prequel really took a lot of steam out of it and i basically quit so i know nothing about seven eight nine and i knew there were these side franchises that were going on after disney got it the rights from lucas but uh i'm definitely more uh able to handle any sort of questions or inquiries from my very curious uh future jedis with kids though pinder now that you have disney plus you have to get them into uh the animated Star Wars on Disney Plus. There's two different. Yeah, there's Lego there. Star Wars. There's kids Star Wars. There's a billion different things. You could see why Clone this Wars. was a good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean more Clone Disney Wars Disney. and uh, Rebels. They're kind of more okay. in depth ones of uh, the first three. Lots of Anakin Skywalker, Obi Wan adventures, that sort of stuff. Animated, really good. Like for an adult to enjoy Star Wars, I really like them. But the the little ones will love those ones for sure. And somebody makes a good point on the. Um... On the text line, 960960, with the Star Wars series, I agree, I hated episode one. However, if you're doing it for the kids, my seven-year-old absolutely loved episode one. It's a good point. you got yeah, the campy true. pod yeah. racing and the... Like, I hated it. I thought it was just an awful movie. I thought they, they tried so hard to make the special effects look real. that They actually looked... Like, the special effects in the first two prequel movies look more contrived and less real than the movies made in the 70s and early 80s, which is which, which is, is hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Okay, I got one more question because this, okay. I, again, not a Star Wars nerd, but someone that was familiar with the original three and then not a lot. We call one through three what? Those are the prequel ones? Is that fair? Yeah, that's the, the prequels. That's, yeah. that's a good way that's of putting so it. Then what? So what do we call seven, eight, nine as a trio? The new we? generation or the, the, the 
finales, the continuation, something like that. Like you've got the prequels, you've got the originals, and then you've got the next generation. Because the next three movies introduce, while they still link to the original three, they introduce new main characters that are far more a part of the actual storyline than Luke or Princess Leia or Han Solo. Like those people are still, without giving any spoilers away, those people are still important parts of the final three, but they're not the main protagonists anymore. Sure. I've okay. always gone prequel, uh, original, and then the new ones are sequel trilogy. See, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, prequel, original, yeah. sequels. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. All right. So I'm in that universe now. I'm ready for my kids to go full uh, insanity. My wife has probably got the trigger finger ready to order some lightsabers off uh, some unnamed massive conglomerate online that can ship anything to your front door in like two days. That's I'm ready for it. Can't think of what that conglomerate would be. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Monday. Uh, we do have a couple of um, couple of sports notes for you. First of all, uh, tonight, our classic rewind game here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, it's going to be an outstanding one. 1989, we take you back to game seven of round one. Perhaps, and I don't think this is crazy to say, Rye, might be the most pivotal game of in in Calgary Flames history and the reason I say that if they lose that game game seven to Vancouver a Canucks team that couldn't score and a Canucks team that pushed the Flames to the very brink they wouldn't have won their Stanley Cup in 1989 and they would have it would have been just another of the disappointing early exits in the playoffs but if Joel yep. Otto doesn't score with less than 40 seconds remaining in the first overtime to beat the Canucks in seven games Flames only lost three more games the rest of the way after winning in game Whew. seven against Vancouver en route to the Stanley Cup I, I think that might be the most pivotal game in Calgary Flames history and it's coming your way tonight at seven o'clock game seven 1989 from April 15th of 89 Flames Canucks game seven I love it. And then you know what? Dad, you, you mentioned a guy with a big goal. That's probably a nice segue into what we got lined up on a really busy Monday show. Joel Otto's going to join us in about 10 minutes' time, the gentleman who scored that game winner in 1989. On top of that, a regular chat with Elliot Friedman. And we got a pretty special guest at 3.30 as well with Mike Soroka of the Atlanta Braves. So where is Soroka right now? Last check, Florida, waiting for things to get sorted out, and I don't know that that looks like a short wait at this point. Uh, we'll check in and get the the exact details, but he's he's laying low and uh, staying isolated in a state that uh, isn't maybe the best place to be, but also isn't the worst in terms of some of the hotspots out there for coronavirus. So we'll check in, see how he's surviving it all, and exactly what he's been told by the PA and by his Atlanta Braves organization, certainly uh all kinds of unknowns as baseball players move forward in terms of start dates what a season might look like uh yeah a lot of confusion there and then uh some other monday regulars as well because any day of the week is wildcard wednesday we, we've learned that in the pandemic ryan pike's gonna join you at four patty uh busy show today for sure we do we have some uh we have some other sports news by the way uh as it was right in the old monday morning quarterback at cfl.ca oh. late last night oh. early this morning uh they were rolling uh a couple of classic battle of alberta games they rolled 1986 game 7 um in 
the, between the Flames and the Oilers. There's the Steve Smith off of Grant Fuhr, Perry Barras, and Ghost Goal that the Flames were able to profit off of and beat the Oilers in that series. And then they played game six, 1991, between the Flames and the Oilers uh, when Flurry slides across the ice to tie that series at three. And, and it's incredible. Just in, And I know that when we talked to Colin Patterson on Friday, we were talking about how, yeah, you know, it just it kind of it kind of looked like a different game in 1989 or in 1986. Like it just it, oh, yeah. it looked There's no doubt about it. But watching that 1986 game seven between the Flames and the Oilers, and yep, the pace is slower, and yep, the hockey's a little sloppier, and yep, the sticks are wood, and and we're not quite seeing shots at the same uh, velocity as we see them now. And the goaltending, there's there's a significant difference. But watching, watching Gretzky in 1986 and seeing him compared to everybody else, it was incredible. Like, so, like the vision on the guy, and, you know, us being child, children of the 80s, we didn't necessarily get the full appreciation of Gretzky in orange and blue. But watching that guy and what he did and the vision and the ability to – to keep the puck in traffic like it 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 really was incredible i i I found myself distracted for 15 minutes at a time watching that game whenever gretzky (laughs) was on the ice it was it was pretty it was pretty fun to watch yeah last week i caught the gretzky passes how game that happened to be in edmonton when gretzky was a king and that was insane to watch and it just the way the puck finds him he was just always this the the only guy on the ice that knew seemed to know what was going to happen and where to be. It was just inc- it's incredible to watch the puck follow him around in a way, which is just so next level thinking. It's Jedi stuff, really, Pat. It's the Force, I swear. Uh, and then of course the other obligatory follow up is, well, what was the article on on CFL.ca today? Uh, today I wrote about how, and this was before the news came down that uh, the CFL was going to postpone the start of training camps in May, and that news came down today. Uh, we'll, we're going to try to get Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, on later this month, uh, later this week rather, and and, and have a chat with him. But um, essentially talked about, you know, look, this this might look like a different season, and like every other professional sports league in north america the cfl is going to have to accept that 2020 is probably going to look different than 2021 and 2019 and everybody's got to accept and in a way almost embrace that if there's going to be a cfl season it's probably not going to be 18 games it's probably not going to be the traditional layout but if we can get our heads around that and embrace that, then 2020 can still be a good football season, the same way uh, the finish to the NBA and the NHL seasons can still be great, despite the fact it's going to be different. And the other thing is, I just wrote a story about how uh, there are three new coaches in the CFL that are all on their second go-around. Rick Campbell goes from Mm. Ottawa to BC. Paul Lapolis gets his second opportunity in Ottawa. And Scott Milanovic gets his second opportunity in Edmonton. Just kind of wrote a, a story about how all three of those guys parallel one another's so it's tough sledding right in the Monday morning quarterback right now, but we're getting by. We're getting by. I, I'm proud of you. That's uh, that's human's work right now. That's not easy. Um, yeah, and look, I, I, I just don't know that we have any idea. Like, uh, yes, of course, if this CFL season could be drastically different, but I don't know when I'm going to tell you that there's a season we're going to have that isn't unaffected. Like, I, yeah, exactly. I really don't know. Like, even when we're talking about, a hypothetical 2021 season in the NHL, 
you know, that's going to be impacted dramatically, whether it's because of a late 1920 season or potentially because we're still dealing with this virus or maybe it does start on time, but I, I don't feel like that's any guarantee at all. There's, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about, whoa, does it start in November? Is that start in jeopardy? Does it all depend on what this season wrap up looks like? Does this season even get wrapped up? I mean, we are living in the most uncertain of times when you're trying to project when you're going to have leagues with dozens of markets able to just pick up and operate business even close to normal. So I know the NFL has been rocking like this thing doesn't exist. And the commissioner has sent a letter out to all the GMs and owners saying any criticism of our decision to hold the draft under the dates we're holding it will be considered bad PR. You'll be fined. Uh, You need to find an area where you can gather in small groups and virtually run a draft board um, based on the the rules about how many people can gather in the U.S. right now. And I, I don't know that this is necessarily rock and roll when week one of the NFL season's around. I don't think anyone can give you that guarantee at this point. We just don't know. Well, and and from the CFL standpoint, I know that TSN's Farhan Lalji over the weekend, I believe, uh, kind of floated what has been kicking around that maybe they only play eight games and maybe they don't, they don't start until uh, until Labor Day. Eight games would allow each team to play one another once, and then you go to the playoffs. And you know what? That that might look like a, a sham season to some, but. I'll tell you this much, if there's football being played after Labor Day, that means the CFL and the NFL are both going. I'm going to be happy to see it. And and I've, I've kind of, I haven't wrapped my head around what things are going to look like, but I've wrapped my head around the fact that things are going to look a little different here and they're going to look a little different for the next little while. And sports leagues are not going to be unscathed. Every professional sports league in North America, every professional sports league in the world is going to have Look, I mean, how many of the hockey leagues in Europe just said, we're not giving out a championship this year. We're just done. We're suspending, and we hope to come back next year. I mean, everything's different, and, and I think you just got to be okay with that and accept that that's going to be the case. And I'll say this much. Whenever we get through this thing, sports is going to be part of the celebration party we're having because yep. it's going to be back, and people are going to be fired up for it again. So we shall wait and see. For way. now, we uh, – yeah. One uh, one league in Europe is still rocking and rolling as if there is no problem at all. It is the uh, Belarusian Soccer League. As uh, yeah, yeah the, I know. in Belarus, they believe that saunas and vodka can uh, overcome this uh, psychosis, not a virus. So they believe it's brainwashing that's going on. So uh, for all the deniers of COVID nineteen, just know those borders are open in Belarus and open arms, ready to welcome you. Hey, right. The flu kills. The flu's killed more people this year. We must be overreacting. The, know what? You've got your people in Belarus. You can head on over there. They're there for you. Yeah, call it. Uh, Ask tonight, how the flu went this year. Yeah, you know, just the 300 deaths a day. That's, uh, That's ask it. how they're doing in a first world nation like Italy. Uh, here's what we got going on tonight. Seven o'clock. Game 7, Vancouver-Calgary from 1989. The hero of that game, Joel Otto, and not without a little controversy. Joel Otto, the assistant coach of the Calgary Hitman, 1989 Calgary Flames Stanley Cup champion, joins us next on Pinder and Steinberg on a Monday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Luke shoots one in. They're after it again. Kupinski going in. The Calgary Flames 
Well, do you remember where you were when that goal was scored with less than 40 seconds to go in Game 7? Overtime number one, Flames-Canucks round one of the 1989 Stanley Cup playoffs. Jim Poplinski centers in front, and Joel Otto scores one of the most pivotal goals in Calgary Flames history. We welcome you back to Pinder and Steinberg. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Ryan Pinder. Uh, we are going to be playing that game in its entirety tonight at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. And we welcome in Calgary Hitman assistant coach and Calgary Flames alumni. The one and only Joel Otto joins us on the program right now now joel do you remember where you were when uh, that goal was scored in 1989 i do remember actually that's one of the few things i do remember <laughs> that was uh, quite a game yes tell us about the you know there's there might be some some controversy in in some corners about that goal but tell us uh tell us your view of that overtime winner in game seven how did it all transpire from your perspective well, I, obviously, uh, it was a, a, a game that we're holding on quite a bit, watching Verdi make quite a bit of saves. Um, uh, towards the end of the first uh, overtime, and I was out on the ice with uh, with Pep. I think Hawk and Lube was still on the ice from his shift, I believe. Uh, got the puck up to Pep, and he did all the work. I just tried to go to the net as best I could to try to be strong and and get in front. And he banked it off my skate and went in. Uh, I, you know, obviously looking at it, I was in the crease. I can't remember the rules back then. If you could be in the crease, <laughs> it certainly wasn't a kicking motion by any means. I I just watched it bank off, and then uh, I can't remember if I realized it went in then or if I heard the roar of the crowd or. I uh, saw so everybody pretty excited, but uh, it was a pretty big moment, absolutely. It's funny because I, I, I watched uh, I watched that goal a bunch of times today, uh, getting ready for the show, and I think I think it would like if they had video review like they have today. I think it would have counted. You're right; there was no distinct kicking motion. I think the goal would have still counted uh, by today's standards. So I, I I don't think it's a controversial goal. So I I'm I'm with you on that front. Um, that tell us about. Tell us about that game because you talked about it. Mike Vernon was out of his mind in overtime. Stan Smeal probably still having nightmares uh, because of how good Vernon was in that overtime. But just being in that game, how close was it? How tight was that hockey game? Well, when, when you're in the moment and you're playing, obviously your your nerves are are before or during the during the day, the night before. You you're trying not to think about that too much, but th- that's when you're nervous. Once you're in the the moment you're you're fine. You're out on the ice. You're competing. You know it's a hockey game. You're you're doing the best you can. Um, I don't think you're you're nervous per se. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I did watch a bit of it uh, a while ago. I think TSN had had the game on at some point. One of their classics things where they do it through the hour. And I I, could, I can't remember, but Kirk McLean made an awful lot of pretty good saves as well that kind of gets overlooked towards the end of the third period and in, in the overtime I think we had a goal disallowed uh, but no no question Mike uh, Mike was you know obviously huge made tons of uh, big saves the Schmiel overtime Shkriko off the toe um, I think they hit the post on a wraparound um, a number of occasions that uh, probably should have went in and 
you know, you got to be lucky to, to go on to the Stanley Cup. That was our, our moment of luck, and we kind of never looked back after that. Yeah, you only lost three more times, once in the third round and twice to Montreal in the Stanley Cup Finals. Do you think... Do you think the group needed that holy crap moment? The Like, geez, this Canucks team is pushing us way more than we thought they were going to. Did you need that that scare to maybe get your team to the level it needed to be at to win a Stanley Cup? Oh, I don't think anybody needs a scare to get them to the level. We had a very good leadership group on the team, you know, a lot of veterans. Um, and, you know, ironically, nobody had won a cup before that. I don't know if that's a a stat or other teams have can lay claim to that. But, uh, you know, when we were able to win, it was the first time for everybody. Um, you know, your, your, your leadership guys, like I said, get you through that. Um, you know, as, as far as a wake up call, I think we had a great season. We knew what we were all about. I think it's just a matter of first rounds are so exciting and everybody's got a new lease on life. They, uh, like, uh, they were playing with with house money when they won the first game in our barn in overtime, and they kind of built momentum. They had a lot of great players that went on to have great careers. They were a good team. They were just becoming a good team, and they had a real good playoff as well. So you talked about it. You never looked back from there. Tell us about the the rest of that run then. You sweep the Kings. Uh, you lose one game in the next round, and then, as we mentioned, the two games against Montreal. What to uh, what what was the rest of that run like for the group after Game Seven against Vancouver? Ah, uh, well, you're taking it game by game, and uh, you know you you go into L.A. and we had a pretty emotional series with Vancouver that uh, took us to the limits, and um, I believe they went seven with Edmonton as well, so they didn't have as much of rest. They were the same. Uh, going in against us, but I don't know if many people remember, but we were able to win game one in overtime there. You know, Patter made a great play off the wall and fed it to Doug uh, Gilmore in the front, and we scored and, and kind of won game one there. So if L.A., I'm trying to think of Rob's tied it up late in the game when he got absolutely steamrolled by Dean Kennedy in front of their net. So little breaks like that as well that uh, helped us gain uh, game one and kind of kept put us or actually put us on the way after that but uh, who knows if we were lost game one you know another series but you know playoffs is just a war of attrition and we were pretty confident with the group we had and we were very deep um a lot of great you know both goaltenders were solid and could have played at any time Bernie was at the peak of his game at that point so I think we were quite confident what we could do with Joel Otto, who uh, scored the overtime winner in Game 7, Round 1 against Vancouver in 1989. We're going to hear that game tonight, 7 o'clock, right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What about that playoff run for you individually, Joel? 19 points in 22 games. Was was that two-month run? Where would that rank for you in terms of the highest-level hockey you've ever played? I, I would say probably the most. Um you know, we went to the finals in 86, so you had a long run there. I was fortunate enough to go to the finals with Philly. Uh, we didn't uh, come out on top in that one either, but uh, was able to go to three three finals and um, certainly winning the cup and, and, and being part of that team was, for myself was was huge. I wasn't able to get out of the first round uh, more than I would like to admit in, in a lot of other seasons. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, I like playoff hockey. I, you know, I, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Least new lease on life. I didn't have obviously great statistics throughout most of my career in the regular season, but, uh, playoffs was, was different. It was, uh, it was going out there with no holds barred and, and going at it. So, yeah, I would say obviously that year was, uh, was certainly my, uh, biggest moment of hockey for sure what do any any theories as to why playoff hockey suited joel otto so well well i i mean i i'm not you know putting myself down too much for regular season i thought you know for the most part i was fairly consistent i wasn't the guy that put up tons of numbers every game game in and out um i tried to do more of the little things uh you know, unfortunately, I evolved into a defensive player towards the end of my career because I, you know, I think Bob Johnson used to say, oh, he's going to be the next Tim Kerr, and that never really came to fruition. So you try to stay in the league as best as you can. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, um, I I tried to play physical during my career, and maybe playoff hockey was more physical at that point, and it suited me best. So what was your – what was your regular line in 1989? What was who were who were the other two guys you were playing with most? Well, it's kind of funny for the for most of the year. I, you know, obviously I played with Pep for probably five straight years. We were center and left wing. Um, probably with Pep most of that playoffs. Um, they started. We like I say, we were deep. I mean, when you're sitting Pep and and Timmy Hunter at the, in the last game, and Landy was sitting out before that. Uh, Yuri Herdino was there. Um, Mark Hunter, I think, was injured for a bit, if I remember right, in part of the playoffs. So he wasn't. He was in and out. So we've got guys sitting that shouldn't be sitting. Um, I, I know I was probably with Pep mostly, but I do remember quite a bit with Yuri Herdino and Mark Hunter on the wings and Lanny on the wing. And uh, it was a bit of a hodgepodge. Tim Hunter once in a while. I know Theo was playing center. Uh, Brian McClellan, I think. Uh, the top two lines were pretty well set with uh, with Killer and and Powder and Mully and then Hawk and Lube, Nui and Robs and then uh, the rest of us guys kind of got into a little bit of a pool. So it was good. We all seemed to work pretty good together and and everybody contributed for sure. I was watching uh, last night, late, but last night they were playing uh, the 1986 Game Seven win over the Oilers, and uh, they were showing uh, the, the big celebration after you guys knocked off Edmonton, and uh, there was Pep right in the middle of the celebration at the end of the game, and then watching the, the game 1989 that you scored the overtime winner, there was Pep right in the middle of the celebration. Pep, the, he hasn't aged much. He, lo- he, he looks pretty much the same now as he, as he did in the, in the 1980s, doesn't he? <laughs> Other, well, other than the hair, he hasn't changed much, and his attitude hasn't changed much. He's a big kid at heart, for sure, still. But, yeah, you know what? Obviously a big uh, stalwart for this organization through his career and coming in in 1980 and what he did throughout uh, that entire decade. Uh, pretty impressive. Okay, last last question about 1989 and about that goal. But do you uh... – do you ever wake up in the morning and, and get a little bit of a chuckle knowing that, you know what, you're the guy with the the goal beside your name and perhaps the biggest goal or one of the most pivotal goals in Calgary Flames team history? No, I don't really. I think there was a lot of goals that were 
like I said, Gilmore's goal in game one of the LA series was pretty big. Newly scored an overtimer in Chicago series. Um, Gilmore's game winner in game six, Lanny's goal in game six. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I don't, I don't think it's one of the Jelen is all his goals. I don't certainly think it's one of the biggest. It was certainly a, a big part of our run for sure that, uh, that was able to go in, but, uh, uh, there's been a lot of great moments in Flames history. Uh, you know, obviously we wish we had more more cups to to lay claim to, but uh, we're we're moving on. I think you're being modest, my friend. Joel Otto, oh, no. Calgary Hitman assist, assistant coach, is with us, and 1989 Stanley Cup champion with the Calgary Flames joins us on Pinder and Steinberg. You play high school hockey, you're off to Bemidji State, and then all of a sudden, over the course of the next five years, you've played American League in Moncton in the Maritimes, and Calgary becomes home. You bring a Stanley Cup, the first ever. What was that like as a Minnesota guy to expand your hockey world uh, in the Flames organization? Oh, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. Um, you know, every year was you know another peak in my. My career, I played high school hockey. As you said, I went to Bemidji, which was a NAIA school for my first two years, and then we went to Division NCAA Division Two and Three my last two years. So that was another climb, and then I wanted to keep playing hockey, and you know was able to have. A, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but my first agent was Brian Burke, who worked the phones all summer that year, and. Huh. I ended up getting me a contract with Calgary, and and also that was a big step. And then playing in my first exhibition game was a big step. I obviously went down in the minors to begin that year, but I'm playing pro hockey, which is a big step. And then the end of that first year, I'm playing in the NHL. So all stepping stones for me, being in the right place at the right time, and you know, pretty pretty happy with the way things turned out. So tell us more about Berkey because he's obviously a guy that we're quite familiar with here, obviously with his role with the flames. And now of course, being one of the big personalities on TV talking about the sport, but what was that relationship like with them? And you know, how did you sort of watch his career evolve knowing him well from agent through the league and then into running teams? Oh, I love Berkey. I mean, he's a man who speaks his mind and has opinions and believes in that. Uh, You know, he, he, you'd be amazed if you talk to him, you know, the work he had to do to, to get me that contract uh, throughout the summer, it started with, you know, who I'm a division two hockey player trying to play pro that wasn't drafted, uh, wanted to keep playing. And he started out with tryouts in the American league. He started, then there was 10 game guaranteed 10 games in the American league. And then it was 25 games guaranteed in the American league and finally worked to three different contracts. And um, it's, it's amazing. It, the funny thing is though, he was in Vancouver when we went to the, when we won in 89. So he never seems to let us let it live down that he thinks I kicked it in that goal, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't understand it. You know, in Vancouver, all I get all this uh, hate stuff from Vancouver, but there's many other times where they should have beat Calgary and they didn't. And this was a year they never should have beat us. And yet they still can't get rid of it. So he's part of that too. <laughs> Berkey uh, continues to the, let me have it, but uh, he's, he's a, he's a very good man who's done a lot for this game and, it's uh, fun watching him on TV right now. Well, he would have been proud of you for your work in 1996 when you were part of that American World Cup team. What do you remember about that tournament? Because it's the one that we all try to forget as Canadians. 
very proud of that moment as well. Obviously, uh, you know, when USA Hockey's made a lot of strides. Uh, I was a high school senior watching the Miracle on Ice in 1980, and what a big thrill that was for for our for our uh, for USA Hockey and you know the the players that came. Uh, you know, following that, uh, what that influenced the young generation and. I was, you know, what I, I that roster we had in '96 was uh, stocked full of great players. I, I mean, it, it's uh, I'm pretty proud to be part of that group. And uh, again, a goaltender kind of saved our bacon. We had to go into Montreal and win two games, and Mike Richter was phenomenal. Um, the games were great. We we came together uh, in a month uh, in a team. We went to Providence for our uh, training camp and Ron Wilson and the coaching staff home, Paul Holmgren and late John Cuniff did a great job. Lou Amarello was our GM and, um, you know, it was clear from the start that we were here to, to make a statement and not, uh, I think Ron Wilson used the phrase, it's time to start driving the bus and not being a passenger in the back. And, um, the guys, uh, we, we had a great time. We, uh, we got to play some golf throughout that trip, uh, in Providence and, exhibition games and we're able to see some things and we, we had a great time and it was a culmination of a, a great time, a great month with uh, some great guys. Yeah. Wow. Some major personalities there and some stars of the game that uh, too bad. I can't remember any of it. That's just a huge shame. Uh, uh, when, when did you become, uh, when did you know Calgary was going to be your home for the long term? Was there a point when that all made sense or was it just a natural evolution? I think it was a lot of a, a natural revolution after I retired in Philly. I played there for three years and finished, and my wife Carrie and I were trying to decide what we wanted to do, where we wanted to go. I think, uh, you know, I'm from the Minneapolis area, so that was kind of <clears throat> part of uh, the equation. We were lucky enough to still have a lake place up in northern Minnesota, and a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, things decided uh that maybe it's best to kind of come to Calgary. I knew more people there. I hadn't really been in Minnesota in the winters or since uh, 1984 when I left. Um, always thought Calgary was a great place, um, good place to raise a family, and very similar to you know the atmosphere and the, the people that I grew up with in Minnesota. And we made a great decision. My wife's from Calgary here, so it's been great. Our kids uh, were raised here, and we've still been able, fortunate enough, to go down to the lake uh, in the summers as well, so I get the best of both worlds. Incredible. It's uh, Joel Otto, 1989 Stanley Cup champion, joining us on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Just uh, one final one, Joel, and and that's on your job now that uh, has you employed in hockey in Calgary, and that's his an assistant coach with the Calgary Hitmen. What, what's the day-to-day like from a coaching staff standpoint, knowing that the season is done and, and you're not going to be playing for the Western Hockey League Championship? How, how much is the coaching staff in contact with one another and players? Like, what's, What does the day-to-day look like from a Western Hockey League's coach's standpoint right now? Well, all right. I'm, we're not really involved too much. I know uh, Steve uh, and Jeff, are probably going through a number of exit interviews with the players. We had a conference call with everybody and uh, Mike Moore as well, uh, addressing about the situation, obviously with the season being canceled and, you know, and then, cause we really didn't get to say goodbye to most of the guys to an extent. We had a impromptu meeting about a little over two weeks ago. 
saying that the season had been postponed and time to go home and, you know, we'll wait out the weekend and see what happens. And so we've all been in communication from home, um, you know, and talking and the, they set the groundwork to get all the kids home uh, that following weekend. So just, uh, just kind of going through the logistics, you know, we had three 20 year olds that uh, were phenomenal kids, uh, you know, great, pieces to our organization mark castlick was there for five years and epitomizes what a hitman is and dakota krebs what a great leader uh coming here a local kid uh, for the last three years and kyle olson as well uh didn't get a lot to see of kyle towards the end he was hurt for a bit but another really good player uh, uh, great leadership skills and you know you never really got enabled or never we really never got an opportunity to say goodbye thank you blah 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 um, never had a chance to kind of show what we had in the playoffs, so that was all pretty disappointing. Um, but uh, we all get, we'll all get through this. Um, I'm sure Steve and Mike uh, will be talking, and most of us will be talking on uh, plans and trying, hopefully, for a, for exhibition and training camp for next year. But now it's all in the hands of, of Jeff and the, and the scouts and being prepared for that next year. But as coaches, I think we'll just keep tracks keep tracks on our kids and make sure they're you know able to do the work that they need to this summer to get ready for next year. Great stuff, Joel. Appreciate you taking us on that stroll down memory lane from 1989, and hopefully you're uh, back on the ice real soon, putting the uh, these guys and the hitmen through their paces. I've, I've seen you run a practice or two before. Uh, you, uh, you 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 run a good practice, so uh, hopefully we see that again in very very short order. Thanks for doing this today, Joel. Really appreciate the time. Thanks, Joel. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. You guys stay healthy and safe, and everybody else as well. Thanks. Bye bye. You as well, Joel. That's Joel Otto, Calgary Hitman, assistant coach, and 1989 Stanley Cup champion with the Calgary Flames. And, ah, I'll say he's being a little modest. That uh, that goal in 1989, pretty darn pivotal. That goal doesn't get scored, and uh, they don't find a way to prevail over Vancouver in Game 7. Who knows where things go for this organization, not just the rest of that season, but uh, yeah. overall. So pretty well, darn pivotal goal. The- Joel joins us. What's that? You wonder, like, does Lanny retire if he doesn't get the cup? Do you, you know, is that hunger to win different after winning than not? I mean, that's you certainly can't undo that, right? Like, that's uh, <laughs> that that's a massive moment that changes absolutely the course of, of the franchise and the organization. No, no doubt about it. That game, Game 7, 89, Calgary-Vancouver from the Olympic Saddledome uh, is tonight on your radio airwaves, 7 o'clock right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Joel joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available. Call 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Great way to shop local as we continue getting through this uh, lockdown and this pandemic. It's Pinder and Stein. On Sportsnet 960, the fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, 257. Pinder and Steinberg rolls on from Steinberg's office in the Beltline. And of course, uh, the Pinder household where I am operating out of my wife's old office. Logan Gordon back at the downtown basement systems. Studio. Got a boy logo. Uh, Patty. Yeah, I know. He's he's doing good. He's doing good. We got wildcard Wednesday at 4 30. 
What are you going to talk about with Pike? I feel like uh, it's usually a like good roster conversation and what's going on in the AHL. What uh, You're going to run out of stuff to talk about with Pike? Uh, they're doing a top prospect series over at Flames Nation. Um, so uh, going to go through some of that stuff. Uh, and then maybe what this, you know, he's he's pretty dialed in on the legalese CBA stuff. So a look at some of the different contingencies and different things that the NHL might have to deal with if and when they're able to return this season. I think it's still a, a if more so than when at this point. But yep. Those types of things what we'll get into with Mr. Pike just after four o'clock. Would it be uh, unfair to ask you where you're at probability-wise that the season is completed versus left unfinished? Um, with the caveat that I think it'll look significantly different than what we're used to. Like, I don't think we're going to be talking about um, eight different buildings on any given two-day span hosting games. Uh, I think it might be more like four buildings hosting games and uh, that types of thing. I would say I'm close to 50-50 that they're able to do it. I don't know if I'm quite at 50-50, probably still leaning towards no than yes, but I would say more optimistic now than I was um, maybe a week ago when we were talking. I, based, I do on... Think, based on the fact that there are places that do seem to be flattening the curve, and I know it's tough to really read too much into that because testing figures vary dramatically from province to province or state to state and those types of things but it does seem like there are places that are flattening the curve so by august do i think that there could be multiple spots that could host uh some games not necessarily nhl cities not necessarily nhl cities that have playoff teams it's, it's more about the ability to be able to host the games host them safely and and host two or three teams at the same time i i do i do have some optimism there so i would say i'm like 45 55 that they could get the season underway yeah i don't know i'm kind of a little more grim on the outlook just because I, I feel like we have we're nowhere near the worst of this and until we know what that looks like it's going to be tough to project forward but i'm also very much of the of the viewpoint that we really don't have a clue what's around the corner, good or bad. So uh, I, I think it's something that the NHL is probably battling day to day that, that just what is 48 hours from now look like compared to, you know, never mind what two weeks or a month is. I mean, you go look at the city of New York where the league has offices, how dramatically things have changed there in the last two weeks. You know, is that something we can expect to see in multiple NHL markets? Is that a one-off? I, I don't have a clue, but it just underlines, how quickly things are changing, especially when yeah. uh, things aren't going well. The news is changing very quickly in those markets. Yeah, there's no doubt. It is, and and it's one of the things we got Elliot coming up in minutes. It's one of the things that most fascinate. Like, have we ever, from a sports standpoint, because we're let's let's be honest, we're not smart. We don't do news, right? Like, we we know about hockey. We know about Corsi. We know about shots on goal. We know about series scores. Those those are the things that are in our wow. wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, exactly. I've I've never I've never been a part of a story like this that is so rapidly evolving and such a moving target. You're right. I don't know what yeah. tomorrow holds, let alone what June, July, or August looks like. 
Yeah, fair enough. And you know what? Like if we get 30 positive cases in Alberta today, that's a huge bit of great news. And if it's 200, it's like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Like, we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. Yeah. And we don't know whether that bounces back to normal tomorrow or if it's if, if we stay on the trajectory we're on or if it changes. Uh, the great uncertainty continues. The one thing you can lean on and that can is tried, tested, and true. Mondays, 3 o'clock, Elliot Friedman. That's next. Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. As an essential service, Calgary Lock and Safe has a duty to protect the public. During this pandemic, they will continue to provide essential break-in service in the safest manner. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Day 19 of the sports apocalypse. Elliot Friedman, how are you holding up? How are you doing? Hey, man, we're healthy. Knock on wood. Everything's going uh, pretty good. Um, I just uh, I can't complain. Other than that, if we have our health, I'm good. I'm good yeah. with that. Here, okay. here. Very here. Good. Don't know. Like, we're, it's kind of different. Guys- our, our, our stations changed a little, Elliot. I feel like we want to use breaking news beds for, like, stuff on Tiger King. So I feel like we've changed. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You, uh, I like that. Are you sucking that in or no? Have you found something else? Yes, I've watched uh, the first two episodes. I do think it's it, I, I think it's a couple episodes too long. I don't think it needs to be seven. I think it could be a little bit shorter, but it is crazy. Like, you know, you sit there and you're thinking, this has got, at the end, you think it's going to be, this never really happened, but it really happened. There's. There's other people that are very different than us. That's, I guess, what the best thing to say. <laughs> I keep trying to imagine it in another part of the world, and I can't. Maybe that's like a shortcoming of mine, but it just it just fits. Florida, Oklahoma, like I don't see this happening in Markham, Ontario, or like Hannah, Alberta. <laughs> you better be careful in your listening area. Well, I mean, I, I, that's a props to Hannah. I just, I think they've they've got stronger uh, regulations than perhaps they have in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, let's get to, I guess, some, something towards hockey or sport. What well, is? No, uh, but I mean, like, like when you watch that, like, I, like, don't you have to say? Don't you look at it and say, at the end, I'm going to get this, this, and it's all going to be a joke. It's going to be like, psych. <laughs> And it isn't. So NBC News has just tweeted that the uh, county in Florida has opened a 1997 cold case file on the disappearance of Don Lewis, Carol Baskin. Well, you had to see that was coming, right? (laughs) Yeah. This is not a hoax. This is, these people are real. This is not staged. (laughs) It's so true, Elliot, though. Like you, you, you're watching and you're like, this is, this is a great, like, Whoever wrote this story, like they, they've got an incredible mind to be able to, like. But then you think about it, you're like, no, nope, nobody could ever write this because it is so bonkers. Yeah, it's, it's, that's how you know it's true because nobody could come up with that. You'd have to yeah. be completely bananas to come up with that. Okay, so to uh, the reason that our boss cuts you a check and we love. No, well, I mean, come on, like what? Like if if you want, what, I, I'm Ozark season three, excellent. Okay, Homeland okay. season eight, excellent. Um, I'm trying to find some other stuff. The McMillions thing is really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm working on 31 thoughts for this week. I'm going to see what I can come up with. Um, <laughs> I really, um, you know, we challenge ourselves to come up with stuff. 
it's uh, yeah, I can't imagine trying to compile 31 thoughts. Now, I will say this: uh, those players made available, or at least you connecting with players for quotes that uh, that filled the 31. But can you do that every week? I don't know. I think it's a challenge. Like for this week, I uh, um, this week what I'm doing is I put a note at the end of the blog and I put it in the uh, podcast on uh, on on last week. And what I'm doing is. You know, obviously, you know, there's there's a bunch of people out there whose careers came to an end, basically. Yeah. And uh, they never got a chance at their last playoffs. And, you know, I asked for some people to send me some notes on who are some people who who should get recognized. And I'm working on about 10 or 15 players. Some are CHL players. Some are University Canadian players. Um, Some of them are uh, NCAA players. one of them is uh, uh, one of them is actually a, a, she plays minor midget in uh, Halifax, and unfortunately, because of an old birthday rule, she's she, she could go to grade twelve next year. She's going to grade twelve next year, but her birthday is at a time, and they've since changed the rule where she can't play minor midget next year. So they're hoping that, you know, they can grant that this is exceptional. And also because um, they think since she can't go to university yet, she'll it'll, it may cost her a chance to play university hockey in Canada. So they're hoping to get her for another year. And maybe if we talk about these stories, maybe she'll get another year because these were exceptional circumstances. So these are some of the stories I'm going to try and tell this week. Um, and, you know, it's... It, you know, these are these are people who, through no fault of their own, and we, I realize this is bigger than sports. They lost this opportunity. So, if, if they're good people who deserve to have nice things said about them, I'm going to try to do it. Awesome. Uh, what are you hearing from people around the league in terms of how quickly this is changing? What's what's sort of the the latest and greatest you've heard? Well, I mean, right, Ryan. I think we all realize that this is a, this is now a summer hockey league at best, right? Yeah. And uh, I think everybody is prepared for the possibility that we won't play it in front of fans. That may change. I don't know. But I think we all realize that the odds decrease about fans. Um, you know, I, I think something that's very interesting is if you follow some of the basketball stuff, um, the Chinese Basketball League is, is basically going to put players in pods, right? And, you know, there was a, there's a reporter who was pretty connected in the NBA. His name is Brian Winhorst. He works for ESPN. And he said yesterday, last weekend, that he's heard that the NBA is considering something similar. You put players in pods, and basically them and their family live in a bubble until you get the playoffs done. And I think that kind of idea has been thrown around in the NHL. I just don't think anybody knows now what it's going to be. But I think we're looking at uh, – the summer at the earliest, more likely than not without fans, although who knows if that changes, but more likely than not without them. I don't know if it's going to be in one site or multiple sites or everybody's going to play. Um, I I believe there has been growing momentum to play some regular season games. You know, McDavid's point about going right into the battle of Alberta in the playoffs, I think people understand that that's very fair, that you you can't really start with that. So, um, I think the possibility is that there, and then you take a month off 
or maybe less, but at least, uh, but probably around a month. And you come back next year, try to play 82, no all-star game, no five-day break. Um, compress it if you can. But I think right now that's a wish. I just don't think that anybody knows right now if that's that can be where we're going. Uh, we are joined by Elliot Friedman, our NHL and uh, arts and film insider on Sportsnet 960 <laughs> The Fan. <laughs> <laughs> so and and uh was was reading your latest 31 thoughts over the weekend Elliot and and that what you talked about is the main reason we're talking about teams being asked about dates in August. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there is a, uh, a very real hope that if, if they're going to play, like we're going to be talking about hockey games in August and, and September at this point. Right. Yes. I think that's kind of what we're looking at. And, um, you know, like I said, I think there's a hope that they can be playing in July, but we don't know. Um, but you know, I think again, I do think so. Right. It's August, September, and then we'll see. And then some time off, we'll figure out what we do with the draft. Um, all of that is there. And, uh, um, I think, I think Pat, it's all about flexibility. Um, I think everybody knows this is a unique circumstance and we're going to have to play when the time is allowed to play. And you get the sense that everyone involved is perfectly okay with with being as flexible as needed to make sure some something gets done if it's possible. I, you know, it's it's funny you say that because at times I've heard some players haven't been thrilled about July because it's not what their bodies are used to. Um, but I, I think in the long run. Uh, Actually, and I'll tell you something too, Pat. I I had heard that on one of the calls, one of the teams that was out of the playoffs, I I don't think anybody was trying to be difficult, but they were like, uh, hey, you know, really we're going to come back for 10 games and then be off for two months again. And then I think, you know, look, I I think we all know that that nobody's going to feel sympathetic for right now for people who are making a a ton of money, but you know, the players are going to get hit with an escrow big check here if they don't play. And I think the players were kind of on each other that if we can play, we have to, because it's the best for the business ourselves and for the business as a whole. So I think anybody that might've had some concerns about it, um, has now kind of been informed of it's okay. just for the betterment of the game. Now, I think there are some people who said don't rush. And I, I get that. I don't think anybody's going to be playing in, until the, the medical authorities give them a clearance to play. Look, the, if you take a look at Trump extended yesterday, the, the, basically the shutdown. And also there's going to be the question of, can players who went overseas, can they even get back into North America? So I mm-hmm. don't think anybody is going to be in a position to do anything here until basically we're allowed to. And I think everybody understands that. And, and you would be, uh, I would imagine, in, in, my, in most people's courts that suggest that Mark Cuban saying that they could be back before June 1st, that, that seems pretty darn optimistic, hey? Yeah, you know, I hope he's right, but I tend not to believe that. I like to be optimistic too, Pat, but 
I think that's too optimistic. I can't see it. I, I, I can't see that at all. What What are you hearing from different teams in, in terms of the business hits that they're taking, the, the revenue losses? What What are we starting to see in that regard, Elliot? Well, I think right now if we're in a situation where um, we don't – if we're in a situation now where they don't play at all, you're looking at a revenue loss of around a billion, 1.1 billion. Um, that's where we are. And a player escrow next year around 35%. If right now, I think if we play now or we play at some point this year, the losses are probably closer to about, you know, 20% of that, 200 million. But the escrow, but they recover a chunk of it. And the escrow uh, obviously goes up slightly, but not a ton. I think right now the the biggest question I think a lot of teams have is what are the league and the players association willing to negotiate on the salary cap? I think some teams would really love to see it go up. I just can't see that happening. Um, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I got to think right now if if we keep it at eighty one and a half where it is, that's probably a big win for some of these teams, but mm. I know some teams have tried to pitch making it higher. I just, I just can't, I, I just think that's a really tough ask. Uh, is it, is it starting to become standard procedure where individual teams might have to scale back? I know some teams have already gone down this road in all the four professional sports, but starting to scale back salaries of team employees and, and that type of stuff. Yeah, well, some teams have, yes. Um, some teams haven't, you know, Florida hasn't, um, I heard, uh, Columbus, I saw that they haven't, um, you know, Montreal did Boston did, um, you know, some teams are, are fighting the good fight here and they've decided not to do it. And, you know, I, I think the longer this goes, the, the bigger challenge it's going to be, but you know, we're all in this boat. Um, I have yep. great admiration for the teams that aren't doing it. And uh, I, uh, I think it's a great thing for, that they're doing because the only way we're going to make this is we're going to make this together. But the longer this goes, the bigger the challenge it's going to be, Pat. You know that. No doubt about it. No doubt. What, what was the significance of – and I, the players talked about not taking their final paycheck, right? What was the significance of that? Well, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things there. Um, um, I think that they're still discussing this possibility. So the players have a paycheck today, and that's their last full paycheck of the season. They have another paycheck on April the 15th that's only four days. Um, uh, it is basically, I should say it's five days. It's tomorrow the 31st and the first four days of April. So that's not a full paycheck. And it has been discussed, Pat, not to take it. Uh, now I've heard that I had heard that they decided not to do that, but someone warned me not to report that. They said that's still being discussed. I've heard that another possibility is taking a bigger slice of escrow off it. So right now they're at 14%. They could increase that percentage. I think this is all on the table, and uh, we'll see where they decide to go. Final one from from me, Elliot, and that's just 
on the overall scope of this story and as as an insider you're you know you're chasing stories that are are moving targets and are ever changing and you might be in on a trade tip here and hear that a trade's close and then all of a sudden that trade's off the table and that team's talking to another team so you you're used to covering moving target stories but you know from career-wise have you ever have you ever tried to keep on top of a story that evolves as exponentially as this one does and and is as much of a moving target as this one is you know i think it's almost the other way around pat it's just slow um you know people like uh people like like it's a move like i think if you're a a like a a, a news reporter and people say Mm -hmm. like there's news reporters or there's sports reporters i i think that's all total bs i think you're either a reporter or you're not Okay, mm-hmm. and you either have a willingness to chase a story, no matter what it is, or you don't. But I freely admit, at this point in time, like I'm in the toy department. Okay, there's other people there doing much more serious work than I am. But um, like those people, it's constantly evolving and it's changing. And um, you know, like the people I think, like the people up there who are like questioning Trump and trying to get him to answer a question like an honest human being, those people are doing an unbelievable job. Um, but you're, that story is constantly changing. For me right now as a hockey reporter, it's, it's more like we're craving for some form of certainty that we can't give you right now. Like from the beginning, and I've said it to you guys, we're not really going to have a good idea until the end of April. And now that might be moving back. We may not have a good idea until the end of May. And, you know, even though, like, I wish we'd have more serious travel restrictions here in Canada, um, what's happening in the States affects us too. And they've really lost control of it. So I think it's almost the other thing, Pat. It's it's almost like people want want me to say, okay, what's going to happen and I think the timeline of knowing what's going to happen for us in hockey and all sports is being pushed back. And I understand that. I think it's really frustrating for people. You want some normalcy in your life, and watching a hockey game could really help you with that. But our timeline is getting pushed back almost on a daily basis. Yeah, no doubt. A little bit of hurry up and wait. There's, there's absolutely that going on right now. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada joining us on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, I, I wonder what the the following scenario looks like if the league projects considerably less revenue next year than it had over a full season this year. Like, say, for example, certain business or section of the economy gets hurt hard. They can't renew their suites. Uh, maybe you're not anticipating that the general public has the disposable income to go buy tickets to events like they could in the past. What does the universe look like where they project less money made than more because this entire system of the cap has has always been one that's grown either quickly, slowly, or somewhere in the middle, but it's never been one that's shrunk. What kind of a wrench would that throw in the system? Well, I think we're all going to find that out together, right? Yeah. I think we're all going to find it out together. Now, what do I think? I, I think, I think Ryan, that what it means is the, this is why I think the playoff format that the NHL comes back to, is, is a big deal. The, U, the U.S. hockey deals up after next season. Mm-hmm. That's your best chance. If you can come back with big numbers, that's your best chance of coming out with something good. 
that's your best chance. You know, you have Seattle, but Seattle, and I think they're, everybody's very excited about what could happen with Seattle. But look at, you know, how hard that city's been hit. Unfortunately, yeah. it's been one of the U.S. epicenters, yeah. and you don't know what that's going to mean. So you're, you're, that's one of your big hopes for revenue. Now it's unsure. But another big hope for revenue is the U.S. TV deal. And if you have something, if you come back with a good product and an exciting playoff, you have a chance to really show that you're still a very big TV property. And the commissioner tended to do pretty well with his TV deals. I know people didn't like this one, but his Canadian one was obviously uh, big. So, you know, I think that it's interesting to see if you, so I think that's a big thing for you. And, you know, I wrote last week, I do think that this is going to lead to a long-term labor deal. I think that the league and the players are going to realize this isn't the time for uncertainty. You have to give your uh, media partners and your advertising partners certainty. And I think they're going to have no choice but to do it. Great stuff. Do appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch up next week. Uh, we'll, we'll see what you're streaming at that point. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm afraid to find out. <laughs> I, like, seriously, I'm going to be sick of TV. Like, are you, are you guys not getting sick of TV? Yep, we have a pretty strict uh, screen time for the youngsters, so our our screen time hasn't gone up uh, a ton. No, but even for yourself, Ryan, like how much can you watch? I I honestly, I'm less than the sports uh, that I used to watch, so I'm down on screen time. I got to get reading. That's my my goal to myself. Read books. Read more books. You know what? I got to tell you, I'm I'm just reading now the book by uh, Bob Iger, who was the president of Disney for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of those books, the leadership books, can be really heavy. This one's a very quick, good read. And he's got great stories in there about the right way and the wrong way to treat people. And mm. uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it right now. That's a book I would, uh, I would recommend. I'll give you two more I've got on my list. Okay. I've got Spy the Lie, former CIA officers teach you how to detect deception. And that's very good because, you know, Pat's a total liar. So it's good to figure out when he's telling you the truth or not. And the other one I've got is um, I've heard great things about it. It's called The Spy and the Traitor, the greatest espionage story of the Cold War. So I'm finishing Bob Iger's book and then I'm going through those two. Those are great recommendations. We'll have them all read by Monday. Talk then. (laughs) See See you, Elliot. All right, guys. Take care. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. As an essential service, Calgary Lock and Safe has a duty to protect the public. During this pandemic, they will continue to provide essential break-in service in the safest manner. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. All right, there it is. That's uh, Pop Culture with Elliot. Books, TV shows, a little bit of sports news, and uh, some philosophical thoughts on on life, journalism, and reporting. Not bad, huh? And he's right. I am an absolute pathological liar. I don't know that that's true. I feel like well, you'll never true. know because I'm a liar. You might be lying. I might be lying right now. <laughs> we'll find out if Mike Soroka is a liar. The, the Canadian said he was in Florida for spring training. <laughs> Hard-hitting questions when we come back with uh, our Calgarian Major League friend, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, 3.31 on your Monday, uh, day 19, if you're keeping track at home of uh, sports apocalypse. 
sitting and waiting we are with our couches and TVs in mind, but a little more complex is the situation our next guest finds himself in. Calgarian, Atlanta Brave, Mike Soroka from, well, where are you? What's going on, Mike? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, sitting on my couch here in Atlanta. I'm, uh, yeah, not doing too much. I had to, had the option to come home, but uh, all the border closure talk and all that kind of stuff was uh, kind of creeping me out. So I wanted to make sure if I, if I needed to get back down here, I'd be all right. So I'm, I'm hanging out in Atlanta. Yeah, fair enough. Weird times. Uh, it feels like it would have been uh, a year since it happened, but I believe it's only about two weeks since spring training was canceled. Walk us through... I guess, arriving early in Florida, getting work in, preparing for, I guess, Grapefruit League, and then all of a sudden, poof, the rug pulled out from under you. Yeah, I mean, we all kind of started this, uh, started spring training with all the talks going on already because of, uh, you know, what had been going on in China and then even into um, uh, Western Europe there. But I don't think, I don't think any of us kind of even realized anything as a possibility until you know, right up to about a few days before we shut it down. Um, you know, we were thinking we'd probably end up just playing with nobody in the, in the stands for a while. Um, but once we kind of got a chance to take a look at it and other leagues started canceling. And then once uh, those two NBA players tested positive, I think that, that's when uh, the cord got pulled for all of us. But uh, I mean, real weird really for us because, uh, we're used to sports and we're used to our schedules kind of being, I mean, really for lack of a better word, above a lot of other things, you know, can we kind of, right. you know, we beat our own, our own schedule in and we basically decide, you know, we get preferential treatment. We get to go around some things when there are issues, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's a really weird feeling to kind of just be boxed in to everything else in a, in a situation where, uh, literally everybody has been affected by. It's uh, it's a good point you make. As, as pro athletes, you, you get to skirt a lot of the real life issues that that you know many normal lay people get to have to deal with. But th- this is one that's entirely different. What were the days that followed the shutdown like? Because it, I, I guess you're kind of waiting for things to either start up again or wondering when you can go home. And I, I even think about just you specifically as a pitcher. Like a lot of these guys are stretching out. Yeah, uh, uh, the information that was being given was obviously uh, difficult to take because, um, you know, everybody had questions that there was literally no answers to in the first place. Um, But getting into uh, when CPA and MLB finally got to meet and have talks about what players' options and clubs' options would be, um, you know, I think – a lot of Cubs initially were keeping their spring training complexes open and uh, even their home bases open, which I think some might still have them open. Uh, I know the Yankees made a big effort to keep going as, as a team. Um, but I think once one of their minor leaguers tested positive for the virus, I think that might've uh, all dissipated pretty quickly. So, um, you know, it, it, just, it took a couple of days to actually get some solid, information as to where we were going you know am i am i gonna drive north am i gonna fly to calgary am i gonna uh stick around here it was kind of uh up in the air so um we gotta make sure uh, a lot of us at least were on the same page 
uh, and then we just went from there. Yeah, crazy. We're chatting with Mike Soroka, Calgarian, uh, ready for the Atlanta Braves here on Pinder and Steinberg. Soroka, it's it's Steinberg. Tell us about what you're doing to stay active and and how you are keeping yourself somewhat in shape, knowing the the limited resources that everybody's got in, at at this time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they. They told us to kind of treat it like an off season. So um, because of that, I mean, I'm going to be trying to get in better shape <laughs> uh, <laughs> as always. Um, I, you know, I've made some orders, tried to get some uh, home gym equipment and hopefully a, a squat rack and Olympic Olympic weightlifting set on, on its way. Um, but a few of us have, have found fields and even contacted high school coaches nearby to be able to get on a high school field. Um but uh, really just try and keep, keep our arms going is a big one for us because, um, you know, if we can stay to the point where, you know, if we're not throwing live VPs or anything, but we're at least throwing, you know, 40, 50, 60 pitch bullpens, uh, you know, simulated innings, at least it still gives us a chance to work on some things and also be more game ready when time comes. You know, we, we don't know exactly how long we're going to get when the time comes that they say, okay, um, you know, let's say restart date July 1st. We don't know if they're going to give us two, three weeks. We would assume that, but I mean, you never know. So we want to make sure that we want to give ourselves the best advantage to a stay healthy when that happens. Um, but B keep our work capacity up because a lot of us as starters, especially know that say we only play half a season and I only get to throw a hundred innings this year. Um, it'd be a pretty big demand on everybody's bodies the next year to be able to go out there or to have to go out there and then throw right back up to 200 innings for everybody. I mean, if clubs are clubs are so worried about innings and, and workloads now, um, I, I wonder what they're going to have to do when they think uh, their entire staff only threw 80 to 100 innings, but they want to roll them out there for 220 the next year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's another one that we got to be careful of and make sure that, uh, we keep going, uh, uh, for our own health. Well, and, and especially in this day and age, Mike, like being a, a pitcher at any level of affiliated ball, everything is, is so planned out and, and it's all, you know, building towards a certain date, whether it's in spring training, when you're throwing hard, when you're throwing long and ramping you up for your starts, or even any given week in the season in terms of when you're tossing and when you're resting. But right now you don't have a firm end date. You don't have a target date. How how challenging is that when it comes to your workouts and how much you're working out your arm? Yeah, that, that is a weird one too. That's a, like I said, a situation that none of us have ever really been in because uh, when you're ready, it's either you're coming back from an injury and getting ready to get back in there, or uh, like I said, spring training building up to it. So um, I will say it's kind of fun to be able to to see. You know, I've been playing catch with Sean Newcomb every day, um, and it is getting fun to be able to to get out there and and see what game ready stuff looks like because we're both kind of letting it eat at each other on our mm. days where we're 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 feeling good and you know. Obviously, we take take a couple of easy days in there, but when we're both uh, letting it go, it's 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 fun. I mean, he he spins it, and so is his curveball. I mean, it's 
to me it's one of the best curveballs in baseball and uh, uh it makes me laugh every time he throws it to me it doesn't matter every single day i see it uh, i've seen it for a week now and I'm, i still laugh when he throws it to me um so in that sense it's been kind of fun to be able to see that um and again be able to work on things you know i was just talking to my dad about um, learning a few things from him and having extra pitches and extra throws to be able to mess around with some things. It's, it's kind of interesting that way. Uh, if we've been given all this time where we feel so good, uh, and why, I mean, may as well work on things and, and try and get better while we're at it, you know? So say, just, just for sake of conversation, you get word that, okay, opening day will be June 15th. What? How much time ideally do you need to make sure that you're ready to go? And how much time ideally do you think, from just an overall baseball standpoint, other players are going to need? Um, I think hitters pretty well agree that they really only really need about two weeks worth of at bats if they if they're to take, you know, three at bats a game. Um, so for hitters, I don't think it's their that's really their worry. Um, it really is for the starting pitchers like myself. So um, if I were to line out what it would look like for me and what I'd need is if, if I get back to the point where I'm throwing a bullpen or at least an extended bullpen or even lives, if, you know, a few of the guys that live here in Atlanta come out and um, we rig up some sort of uh, live VPs going on. Uh, let's say we're at about a 45, 50 pitch count. Uh, which should get you three innings. Um, it, to me, once you're at three innings, then it would you'd probably only need, I'd say, four full games to get your pitch count back up. So okay. that's probably a good three-week, I'd say a good three-week spring training. Um, even if you had to start the season with your starters at, you know, at, at 90, say they weren't even at 100 pitches yet, then you could still get, you're still, you still should get, six, seven innings out of a lot of guys at 100 pitches. Uh, you don't need everybody ready for the 120-pitch, 130-pitch marathon of a game, you know. Um, they could always make allowances for an extra guy in the bullpen. And now this year with that 26 man on the roster, they might just yeah, carry carry a lot, an extra long man in the bullpen for mm-hmm. situations like that. Are you, like, is it daily contact with the Braves conditioning staff, strength and conditioning, or is it is it a plan that's been given to you? What What's that look like right now? Uh, well, it, somebody usually, I mean, somebody reaches out every day to just make, their, make sure everything's going on. And, uh, mostly it's with our training staff just to make sure everybody's healthy and, and uh, doing all that, see if we need anything. Um, but, uh, no, for the most part, I mean, it's, it, I think they trust most guys, and I think you're going to have to because it is, at the end of the day, it's your own career. Um, and if you, if you, I mean, if you want to take the time to stay in shape and get better, that's uh, that's up to you. I mean, it's going to show when we come back which guys uh, put their mm-hmm. kept kept putting their work in and which guys didn't. And I think at the end of the day, yeah, a you're hurting the club, but. Uh, B, you're hurting your own career. So I think uh, they trust most guys to be able to come home and uh, still get their stuff in. Mike Zaroka, Atlanta Braves pitcher and proud Calgarian joining us on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon.
How are you staying sane, Mike? What are you doing? Are you reading? Are you cooking? Are you doing art? Are you streaming like crazy? We're all uh, trying to figure out what normal hmm. is. Day, uh, days I've found are actually going by fairly quickly, uh, a lot quicker than I thought they would. Um, but yeah, cooking, cooking for myself, obviously. Um, you know, I, I've only been to Costco once. I, I went once when I first got here and I stocked up, so I shouldn't have to go for uh, at least probably another couple of weeks. I got a freezer full of meat here now. Um, so yeah, I mean, cooking, cooking for myself every meal actually starts to take up quite a bit of time when you think about it and, uh, that and throwing and then working out. And then, yeah, there's only a couple more hours to, uh, play my guitar, watch a show. Um, you know, yeah, read and go to bed and repeat. I love it. That's that's some healthy living. Cooking, musical instrument, reading. This is uh, you're a Renaissance man, Mike. <laughs> it's uh, you know something at least you realize that you might only have a portion of your life that you get to live on your own time. So you may as well uh, make use of that and uh, <laughs> do what you want when you want. Because you know when the day comes when you know you might have kids or whatever. I mean you you know Fender with uh, twin boys running around there. Um, it, uh, it, it gets to be quite a bit. So I think uh, I may as well enjoy this time while I can. Well done. A wise man, well beyond his years, to be sure uh, you are, Mr. Soroka. Last one for you. Um, <laughs> ideal post-career or post-baseball career. You want to, you know, you're, you're a chef. Are you opening a restaurant? Are you writing a book because you love literature? Are you starting a, an open mic and playing the guitar? Well, of those three things you mentioned, <laughs> any of those... Uh, pique your interest beyond baseball uh i don't know about performing musically I don't, i'm not sure about that one um i've always thought about restaurants um i am a food lover um but the the problem i don't, I don't know if i'd want to be involved in day-to-day -day operations of a restaurant because uh i know those can get a little crazy um <laughs> you know maybe even a, a brunch spot where you only have to do it from 8 a.m to <laughs> one um that would probably be uh ideal um i mean you never know sometimes sometimes some things come up in baseball and uh you know you get a uh, a good special assistant job or something like that and um you know you, you never know you never know what you want to do then too i mean hopefully that's a ways away and uh hopefully my my life might change by the time that comes Mimosas at Sorokas. We're all in. A twenty forty five. See you there, okay? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Appreciate the time today, Mike. Always good catching up. Uh we know uh this is the 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 future's unknown and every day we're it feels like the waiting game, but it sounds like you're taking the right approach and we do uh thank you for sharing some time. For sure. Thanks, thank you guys so much for having me. It's always always fun to be on with you guys. Love it. Good stuff. Mike Soroka, Calgarian, Atlanta Braves pitcher, and uh, apparently an aspiring guitar player, cook, and uh, budding uh, literature expert, Pat. Wow, this is uh, so well-rounded, uh, mature human. That is not what you or I sounded See, like in our young 20s, Pat. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, definitely not. Um, and, like, Soroka's got it made. Like, if this career trajectory continues the way it's pointed – that guy, that guy's got his next career. If he wants to open Sorokas in Atlanta, 
uh, that's that's just instant money right there. Like it just it's a license <laughs> to print money uh, because this guy this guy's trajectory is like we were talking about a guy who was in Cy Young conversation and was that close to NL Rookie of the Year. Like this guy's got a chance to have legendary status in Atlanta. Uh, you might as well. You might as well start making some restaurants. You can already start to come up with your concepts now post-retirement. As long as I get a cut for mimosas at Sorokas, I'm totally down with it. We can maybe just a small fee here or there, maybe a percentage of the Calgary location, whatever works. You Pat, can be a I'm partner. Here to help. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, uh, but all jokes aside, like, is that kid 35 or is that kid just about to start his second full season of baseball? Well, the, cra- like the crazy thing is, like, what. There, there are like LeBron James looked like a thirty-year-old man when he was still in high school. Like he, he looked like he was built like a thirty-year-old man. He had facial hair like a thirty-year-old man, and he carried himself like a thirty-year-old professional athlete. You take a look at Soroka, like you look at the guy, like yeah, Soroka looks like a guy in his early twenties. You hear the guy talk. And you have a conversation with him, you're like, that guy's older than me. Like, he's he's got the best of both worlds. He's got the maturity of a full-blown mature adult, and he's got the, uh, you know, he's got the youthfulness physically of a guy who's, you know, still looking at 10, 15 years to go in his major league career. He, he really does have the best of both worlds right now. Crazy. Okay, I got a question for you. It's not far off from what we asked uh, Soroka about his uh, post-playing potential second career uh i'm gonna okay. ask you next when we come back and it has to do with with brighter sunnier less pandemic-y times ahead so it's a it's a good one to put us in a nice frame of mind pat that's coming up pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan back to pinder and steinberg calgary sports talk in the afternoon sportsnet 960 the fan all right, it's 3.52. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg. Big thank you to Mike Soroka, Elliot Friedman, and Joel Otto, who've all joined us already on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. A reminder, the uh, bar's closed, but fear not. Pickup and delivery still rocking and rolling, 403-248-3344. And all those uh, chats, Pat, available on sportsnet.ca slash 960. More to come as well. Yes, Ryan Pike will join us in eight minutes. Wildcard Wednesday at 4.30. And uh, they've been uh, nailing down some pretty good guests in Toronto. We'll see if we can uh, clip some audio there, or perhaps we just revisit some of the, the good chats we've had today already. That's some good ones. Soroka was good. Um, Joel Otto with some great stories and, and some good insight from Elliot Friedman. I think that, uh, again, pandemic radio is no walk in the park. It's uh, it's a different pace. It's a different uh, it's certainly a different Sportsnet 960 than you're used to, but we're trying to, for four hours in the morning and four hours in the afternoon, give you, if you're if you're in Calgary, if you're still, you know, whether you're a first responder or working in hospital or a grocery store or whatever the case may be, if you're working, we hope that we can give you a distraction in your car or while you're at work or if you're at home just trying to pass the time at your desk or whatever you might be doing. We're hoping to give you a distraction. We're doing our best. It's uh it's a distraction for us. I know that. I look forward to these four hours every day because, like, that, that means something that I've got to do for four hours. So uh, we're, we're doing our best on pandemic radio. Yeah, just that little bit of structure is uh, keeping us something uh, resembling normal. And we hope that our show might be doing a little of that for you. Had a question pop up and got some chuckles when I asked uh, my wife and my parents and my sister when I was uh, doing the, the, the Skype videos over the weekend. Uh, which post-pandemic 
business would you want to own the most, Pat? Hairdresser oh. or barber? Pub or bar owner? Because people are going to need to tip a few mm-hmm. back to recount this one being over. A personal trainer. I see a lot of people tweeting about uh, maybe eating a little more, working out a little less under isolation. Or would you want to be a divorce lawyer coming out of this path? Those are the four options I'm giving you. I want you to pick one. <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, I'm not going to go the morbid divorce lawyer. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go personal trainer or something involved with gyms because I mean, look, unless you're a professional athlete or a multimillionaire, uh, you probably you probably don't have a whole lot in terms of equipment. You know, some people might have a bench. Some people might have a Bowflex that they bought in 2007. You know, you might have an elliptical or, you know, maybe you've got on the Peloton. Like, I've, I've been, you know, money's tight, but I'm like, geez, if this goes on much longer, I might do the monthly fee and try the Peloton or at the very least see if I can budget it. Don't know if that's going to be feasible or not, but the Peloton looks interesting at the very least. Yeah, but... When when we're able to be out and about again, and when gyms are open again, and when when the social distancing and the restrictions are lifted, because they will be. I don't know when, but they will be. We will be back to life more like the way that we're used to. I think people are gonna like. It's gonna be. It's gonna be January second at the gym, multiplied by seven hundred. Like it's it's going to be like that. You, if you're doing your F forty five or your Orange Theory or your CrossFit or your nine round or whatever, like have fun booking those classes because every the eight fifteen class is going to be triple booked. Uh, the five a.m. class is going to be triple booked. Like uh, so, I, anything to do with fitness, people are going to be so starved to get back into shape and and to be able to do more than push-ups and uh, chin-ups and, and sit-ups. So that's that's yeah. the one I'm going to go with. Okay. So, again, uh, and by, by all means, text us, 960-960, the fan feedback line. Uh, the four options you've got, and we'll allow you to make your own. You can We'll, we'll leave E as a write-in ballot, but which post-pandemic career is in line for the best windfall? A hairdresser or barber? Divorce lawyer, a pub or bar owner, or a personal trainer, and someone's already checked in on the uh, the fan feedback line nine six zero nine six zero. Patty, uh, you're going to want to be a maternity doctor because uh, there's been a little extra time for that. There will be a baby boom on this. If Wait for what? Us anything. What are you talking about? For all the kids. What, what for reference all are you? The children. There's uh, people trapped indoors with person that they're mating with. I. That's probably enough. We're going to see a wave. There's going to be. Coronials coming out starting around Christmas time. <laughs> I just Quarantine love the term that you used whatever it is. Mating. Um, <laughs> this reads: I'm going to start raising big cats, boys. I heard there's a good market in club petting. <laughs> You're going to have to know your regional restrictions in terms of uh, yeah. That's you now, know. If you move to I, Oklahoma, I you're good. That that big cat law still hasn't hasn't passed yet. There, I, it sounds like there might be a market for a big cat zoo in in Oklahoma. I say in jest. Don't do that. It's awful. <laughs> I would worry less about the big cats than I would about the people in that business. That's the only takeaway I've had so far from watching Tiger King. It's not the cats you have to worry about. It's the humans. I don't know. The, like you'll see it. Like uh, this is not a spoiler alert by any means. But the final episode, like I was borderline in tears seeing some of those animals and and the situations they were in, uh, because they they give you a pretty stark look in the final episode. Um, so uh, 
it was it was tough. I I can watch a movie where like I can watch a, a war movie with blood and guts. I can see people on television in movies. I don't like it in real life, but I can see it in movies. I can see plenty like you know slashers and that type of stuff. I can deal with that. You give me a movie where horses or dogs or anything are in danger of getting hurt. I can't deal with it. I just can't deal with it. Uh, so that that was that was tough to watch in the final episode of the Tiger King. Hope that's not a spoiler alert. Okay, uh, so t- send us your thoughts. 960-960. And Logan Gordon back at the Downtown Studios. I'm going to allow you to answer this as well. Yeah. Hairdresser, pub owner, personal trainer, divorce lawyer. Who's who's making hay when the sun shines at the end of the pandemic? Uh, gave me a pub owner for sure. That's the okay. the way to go. I have missed a few social outings already. I'm sure we're going to miss some more. And I can only yeah. imagine if there's a all-clear day or something like that when we're Woo. We're allowed to do that. The what uh, the bar situation might look like at a couple hot spots, especially if it's the summertime. Uh, I could go for some patio brews. Uh, maybe we get the nine sixty crew over to Wild Rose or something like that, and uh, relieve a little stress. That uh, that's a day I think we all look forward to with great mm-hmm. anticipation. To be sure, I'll accept that answer. For what's sure. yours, and- by the way? Well, you know, I'm going to say divorce lawyer. I feel like people in tight quarters that aren't getting along, there's there's a business opportunity for some people out there. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not. I, really I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> that if if life was tough when you could escape for like eight to ten hours a day and do your own thing, imagine now. My goodness. But uh, that said, all things good on the home front, Patty. I don't, I don't want you worrying about me per se. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not gonna I'm make glad any the married guy there. brought up the option of being a divorce lawyer when all this is done. You know, and he goes, hey, don't worry, things are okay at home. And I feel like the barber's going to be a good one, but it's it's going to be a backlog for two weeks, and then everyone's just going to figure it out. So it's like, you can't really charge more for haircut, can you? Like, you're kind of full already. Like, sorry, that's not the one. They'll be busy, though. It will be. More questions okay. like this coming up at uh, 4.30 <laughs> on Wild Card Wednesday. This is uh, it's a Wild Card Wednesday teaser on a monday uh next up ryan pike from flames nation uh the latest on some flames prospects the flames have got some pending decisions to make on some prospects as well we're gonna find a way to talk some hockey with pike next sportsnet.ca slash 960 is the website this is pinder and steinberg on sportsnet 960 the fan As the coronavirus spreads and concerns mount, you can trust 660 News to bring you the most up-to-date information on COVID-19. We cut through the clutter and bring you the facts, including the latest numbers in your community and around the world, updates on the fight against the virus, and how to minimize your risk. Your health matters. Your safety matters. Stay informed on COVID-19. Tune in to 660 News three, four, five times a day. We are Calgary's most trusted source for breaking news, traffic, and weather. And now, the fight against coronavirus 660 news and online at 660citynews.com right now calgary streets may look empty but at calgary co-op we see the heart of our city as full as ever we see the first responders healthcare workers delivery workers and our own dedicated team members working tirelessly to serve you we see those doing their part by staying home we see us getting through this together even if right now we can't all get together To everyone cooperating to keep Calgary together, thank you. Calgary Co-op. Together for good. 
is CFAC 960 Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Live from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Owned by Rogers Media. Listen live anywhere at sportsnet.ca slash 960 or on the Sportsnet app. I'm Sandra Prusino with the latest on COVID-19. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says large and small businesses, nonprofits, and charities will be able to apply for a 75% subsidy on wages meant to cushion the blow from the pandemic. He outlined some of the details today in Ottawa, saying the wage subsidy will be capped at $847 a week. With COVID-19 ravaging the airline and travel industry more generally, Air Canada is temporarily laying off 15,000 additional workers. This is on top of a previous announcement the company is temporarily laying off 5,000 workers. Temporary layoffs have been announced for city employees in both Calgary and Edmonton, 1,600 in the provincial capital, while a number for Calgary will be released later today or tomorrow. Saskatchewan has recorded its first deaths related to COVID-19, while Ontario is reporting 10 more. On the Alberta front, we will be hearing from Dr. Dina Hinshaw within the hour for her daily update on how COVID-19 is affecting our province. Keep listening for more updates as they happen. This is the latest from the 660 News Traffic Center. Now we're into the hush of the rush where we're not seeing much for volume these days, but we've got some tricky traction action going in the northwest, especially where we're seeing some snow coming down, some freezing rain starting to make it uh, pretty slippery and a number of roads. And we've got a collision just south of downtown at Center Street and 13th Avenue in the south. In the 660 News Traffic Center, I'm Trace Ventura. A mortgage with CIBC comes with expert advice and up to $3,000 cash back to help you settle into your new place. Conditions apply. Calgary's radio home for the NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, the World Juniors, and more. The Calgary Hitmen and Calgary Flames only play here. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Say hello to Ryan Pike at flamesnation.ca. Joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. And, you know, usually we got lots of flames to talk about. Don't have a ton of flames to talk about right now or a ton of hockey to talk about. But, uh, Pike, you're still doing uh, you're still doing hero's work over at flamesnation.ca and you're pumping out content on a daily basis. I don't know how you're doing it, like, uh, are are you starting to have sweats um, because you're running out of content? How's it going over there? Pat, we, you and I always joke about this. It's very generous for you to call anything I do work. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, honestly, it's a lot of the stuff. A lot of it right now is just sort of things we were probably going to do a little bit later. Uh, they're happening a little bit sooner. I mean, instead of sort of poking at uh, some prospect stuff in you know June and the run up to the draft. Do it in March in the run-up to, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the draft. Who, know, who knows when things are going to happen now? It's kind of, you know, you and I both know this business is very scheduled and structured. And on one, one level, it's kind of, you know, causes some anxiety when we don't know when things are going to happen. On the other hand, you know, we're so used to things happening in, you know, a very chock-a-block way that having it be a little bit, uh, a little bit up in the air might be a little bit, uh, a little bit fun for a little bit. Hopefully not for too long, but, you know, for a little bit. You, um, now you're doing some prospect, and not really a countdown, but some prospect profiles and, and kind of like a, a number one contender series for who is the top prospect in the Flames organization. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if if you look back to the last few years, I mean, there's a lot of guys that could lay a claim to it. Uh, in, in past years, you know, you know, uh, Sean Monahan was sixth overall. You know, had a great camp, went straight to the NHL. He was the top prospect for maybe three months because it took him that long to get to the NHL. Uh, Matthew Kachuk was very similar. Sam Bennett was, you know, very infamously 18-year-old Sam Bennett for pretty much five years because he, you know, basically barreled his way into the NHL and, you know, stuck around. Uh, But, you know, coming off last year, the Flames finished uh, second from the top of the NHL. Uh, They, they, I think they were the the highest ranked team, actually the second highest ranked division winner to not win. So I think they draft 26th overall. So Jacob Peltier was their latest first round pick and probably the better part of a decade. So, you know, does he automatically run his way to the front of the line? Well, he might have, but then you have Yusuf Valimaki. But Yusuf Valimaki is coming off an injury, and you know maybe you know some guys are, are stepping up on him. So there's a lot of guys who have, who have a claim. I think uh, in the series we're looking at seven guys. Uh, the seven gentlemen are Glenn Godden, Mr. Pelche, uh, Emilio Pedersen, Matthew Phillips, Yusuf Valimaki, uh, Dustin Wolf, and Dmitry Zabgarodny. And all of them have sort of a different way of doing things and sort of a different claim to the title. I mean, you know, Glenn Godden might be the, the most NHL-ready player they have in the system who's not already a regular. Uh, he's knocking on the door. He probably would have played NHL games if the Flames weren't, a little, weren't as healthy as they were this year. Uh, Pelche and Valimaki are sort of more showy prospects. They're, they're sort of what guys, you know, would have been called uh, the undisputed first round or, you know, top guys a while ago. Uh, and then, you know, Zab is a, a little bit of an X factor because he's been one of the most productive players in the queue for the last couple of seasons. Granted, he's playing quite a bit with Alexis Lafreniere, so it's hard not to have great numbers when you're playing with Lafreniere. It's, you know, somehow Zach Cassian has a million points because he's playing a line with McDavid. But much like Cassian's a pretty decent player in his own right, Zab is not exactly standing around with his, you know, sucking his thumb saying, hey, get me the puck, please. He's doing things. So all these guys have their own have their own unique claim to the, to the crown. And for the first time in a while, we have seven guys who all have, a, a, I think, a pretty legitimate uh, claim to it. Let's let's get specifically into some of those prospects. The latest one up at FlamesNation.ca is Matthew Phillips. It's been a it's been a rough year for him because he had a long term injury, but it's also been a good year for him when he's been playing. Tell us about Matthew Phillips and his actual chances of being an NHLer in your eyes. Well, I know you, you and I both know he's a, a big uh, you know uh, our friend uh, Peter Labardius is a big fan of him. Uh, he came up through you know Calgary minor hockey, and he's one of those guys. He sort of reminds me a bit uh, you know there's a, with the small guys you always have with the small guys. They're used to being told that they're not good enough or they can't do it. They don't have a chance. So those guys always sort of have a bit of a chip on their shoulder, you know, uh, and, and Phillips has been, you know, since he was, you know, a bantam been told you're doing great kid, but we don't think you're going to make it for X, Y, Z reasons. I mean, he wasn't exactly, you know, shooed into the midget level. He wasn't exactly shooed into the, the, the WHL level. He was a late pick in the WHL. He was a six rounder in the NHL draft, despite being over a point a game in the Western hockey league. And I can sort of understand, you know, you have one year in the in the dub before he gets drafted, and I can understand people going, "Oh yeah, you know, he's he's pretty good, but he only did it for one year. What if, what if you know when other teams have a chance to game plan for him? I mean, you know, we heard the same things with Goudreau in his first year in college, and we heard the same things with Goudreau in the first year that he played in the NHL. At some point, the league's going to figure him out. Uh, Matthew Phillips played three years in the Western League, and I think his worst season he was 76 points in 72 games, and then I think his second season he got 90 points 
In his third season, he got 120 points or 110 points, something ridiculous like that. And it's not like he got much bigger. He's basically the same size he is now at 22 as he was he was drafted. So he's not a guy who's going to dominate you with physicality. He's just super smart and super competitive and, you know, super, super talented. And with him, I think it's a case of, you know, a lot of the smaller guys, you can sort of hem and haw about them because a lot of them are perimeter guys that rely on, you know, power play time to really be productive. If you look at Johnny Gaudreau's, you know, offensive production, his power play production accounts for about half his, his offense. It's just the thing that happens. You put guys in offensive situations, and a lot of times the smaller guys need the space. Phillips was uh, probably, if, if you factor in his age and you factor in the fact that he missed a bit of time, points per game, he was probably the most productive even strength player on, on the Heat, which is kind of insane when he's only in his second year and – you know, you want to say, oh, you know, these AHL coaches, you know, they're they're pretty good. They got some veteran defenders. They got these big guys who can know how to play against guys who are almost good good enough in the NHL. But Phillips managed to be, you know, low key one of the best players in the American Hockey League, despite being one of the smallest players in the American Hockey League. And you know, if you want to look at some of the guys in the system and you know, Hem and Hahn, wonder how they're going to translate, he's one of the guys that's figured out how to translate it. And for him, it's, I think it's just a question of what he's going to be at the NHL level because he's probably going to be able to play there. Let's talk about some of the other prospects that you have profiled to this point who could be contenders for the organization's top prospect. Tell us a little bit more. You know, This is a guy that has flown under the radar, I think, since the Flames drafted him. But tell us a little bit more about Emilio Peterson. Emilio Peterson, if he, if he was a prospect for any country but Norway, I think people would be salivating about him. I mean, Norway isn't in the, the top division at the World Juniors, and so he doesn't really get as much play as he normally would. You know, he's sort of – he's playing in college hockey, so I know Canadian hockey fans, you know, habitually, we don't see a lot of college hockey. We don't think about college hockey a lot. Uh, and, you know, you don't really think of Norway as a hockey powerhouse. Uh, but, you know – Peterson's just one of those guys where he's he's not huge, he's not tiny, he's sort of a, a, a middleweight, he's sort of you know a slightly below average size forward, but he's been you know his last year and this year uh, the University of Denver was one of the top teams in the entire NCAA. Uh, they were going to go to the Frozen Four this year. They went to the Frozen Four last year, and Peterson was one of those guys that was driving the engine. He was second in, on the team in scoring last year. As an 18-year-old, he was uh, first in the team in scoring this year as a 19-year-old. As and the last two years, he's been top five or ten in terms of all junior-aged uh, scorers in the entire NCAA. And the only guys who were really ahead of him consistently were the guys who were, you know, the guys we're seeing sign uh, with the NHL teams these days. The, the, the you know, first-rounders from 2018 and 2019, the guys that they could go – holy cow, that guy played for the U.S. National Development Team. He's going to the University of Michigan, and now he's going to go play. You know, he didn't play for the National Development Program. He came over to North America as a 14-year-old kid who knew nothing and nobody to play prep school hockey because he wanted the challenge. And he excelled in prep school, went to the USHL, excelled the USHL. And because, you know, there wasn't a huge book on this guy, and because he's not gigantic, the Flames managed to get him in, in the late rounds. And I think, you know, that's one of the things, if, if you look at some of the the successes the Flames have had, and honestly a common theme in the in the, the seven guys who are contenders for the top prospect title, uh, Pedersen was a late rounder, Phillips was a late rounder, Wolf was a late rounder, Zavgarati was a late rounder. And the only knock you can have in any of these guys is, well, they're not huge. 
But more and more these days, I mean, we're seeing, you know, uh, Dylan Dubé it, it wasn't a giant, but he managed to make it. You know, uh, Andrew Mangiapane sat around for functionally 13 rounds of the draft coming off 100-point season in the OHL because he wasn't huge. Lo and behold, he probably was the, the best flame at even strength and potentially one of the best flames all season in any situation because he just can play good hockey. You know, I don't think, you know, he really cared about where he was going to get drafted. I think he was just driven to show people up. And I think that's one of the common trends we've seen a lot of the, the Flames picks because they're finding guys who provide great value late in the draft because these guys are just sitting there because they're a little bit smaller than the average guy. And then you also, uh, Glenn Godden's a guy that has, has really risen the ranks as a potential top prospect in this organization of late. And, and you know, now we're talking about Glenn as a professional hockey player. He's been recalled. He's, he's yet to make an NHL debut, but it has gotten his first NHL recall. Where's, uh, where's Glenn Godden's trajectory pointed right now? I'll say this. He's going to play NHL hockey next year. I mean, he's he's there. He's he was a guy that, you know, he I, I sort of I have a lot of respect for him because he's one of those guys that he was a really rock solid two way player for years, and everyone went, "Man, Glenn's a good hand," but you know, don't love his scoring numbers. His numbers aren't really jumping off the page. And more and more, I'm thinking that it's sort of a product of the guys he was playing with because, you know. He, he did the best he could with the guys he, he was playing with. He was a, a very productive, reliable guy offensively and defensively with Swift Current for a couple of years. And then, you know, the, the, the St. Louis Blues, when Vegas came in, St. Louis uh, lost their primary affiliates. Uh, the, the Blues were the, the primary NHL parent of the Chicago Wolves. Uh, but when Vegas came in, there was a year's lag between the AHL going to 31 teams. So Chicago and, uh, and the Blues had to, or Vegas and the Blues had to split Chicago. So as a result, instead of having 12 forward spots in in, uh, in Chicago, the Blues only had five or six. So they had to make some decisions, and Glenn Godden coming off a 65-point season in the WHL was exactly a priority for them. You know, you can you can argue that was a kind of a dumb decision, uh, especially when he went back to the, the dub, and for the first time in his career, he was playing with really tippity-top prospect guys. He was playing with uh, Alexei Hepaniemi and uh, Tyler Steenberg, uh, better known as uh, the world junior hero that year. Mm. Uh, they, they turned into probably the most terrifying line to play against in junior hockey. Uh, Godden, aside from a shoulder injury, probably would have won the scoring title. I think he was four points out of a scoring title, but he missed seven games. So the way he was scoring, he was probably going to win the scoring title by five or six points. And unfortunately, he went out with an injury. But then he came back and he was the, the MVP in the, the Broncos uh, run to the, to the WHL championship and made a Memorial Cup appearance. And, you know, he's one of those guys, when, when you talk to the, the coaches down in Stockton, talk to his teammates, you know, is he, does he have a, the, the, the high-end skill of a Valimaki or a Zavrod or even a Phillips or a Pelche? No. Of, of the seven guys who are contenders for the spot, he might have the least amount of finesse to his game. But he is so smart. He just knows where to be. He knows where to put the puck. And, you know, he, he might not be – he's one of those guys where, you know, he might not be – the, the craftsman with the best tools, but he knows how to use his tools to get the absolute most out of the guys he's with. And I think that that one year he played in Swift Current, the 120-something point year, was the first time that I think a lot of people really got a chance to see him play with some really good line mates. And he went to Stockton last year, had a really, really good first year, and he was even better this year. And, you know, he's one of those guys where 
you know, I, I make some comparisons to Paul Byron in the sense that Paul Byron's only great attribute was probably his speed. I mean, you know, he was the breakaway king for years. But the reason he had so many breakaways is he was just so good at reading plays and reading situations and finding gaps. And Godin has that level of hockey IQ where he just can read the situation and read the lines and read the gaps in the coverage and create things a lot of guys can't see. You know, So for him, much like Paul Byron, because he's got those smarts, you can probably play him anywhere. And I think it's a question of where he's going to have the best fit because you could play him in the fourth line and he could, you know, he has the hockey IQ to be an absolute, you know, beautiful grinder and just kill the offense for the other team. Or you can put him in, you know, second line or third line and maybe you want to get more offense out of him and put him with some more offensive minded guys and you could probably get offense out of him. So I think the, the, the key now is how, what do they want out of him and what can they do with him? Because he's still so raw. I mean, he's only 23 years old. Uh, He's, he can do so many different things. And, you know, do you think, do I think he'll be, you know, a Matthew Kachuk little star? Well, probably not. I think Kachuk has better tools. But I think Godin could be a tremendously valuable utility guy. They can pretty much play with anybody, sort of like a Michael Froelich, because he has those smarts and he has the ability to play with anybody. So, and also Jacob Pelche is in that conversation, the first-round pick from last year's draft. So when do we get a uh, verdict as to who is the top prospect in the Flames organization? Oh, that's a good question. I think, honestly, we might have to wait till September because, you know, looking at these guys, when we get to camp next year, Godden and Phillips are probably going to push for spots. Uh, Zev Garotti is going to be playing in the AHL next year unless he surprises people at camp. Um, Pelche, I don't know. I think Pelche is the kind of guy where he is, he had sort of a slow second half of his year because he suffered a concussion right before World Junior Camp. And then Moncton got a, a bunch of extra guys at the trade deadline. So they didn't really need to play Pelche all the time, always in every situation. So his offense sort of dipped a little bit. But Pelche is one of those guys where, you know, maybe when you come to training camp next year, they see a lot of things they like in him and maybe they play him a bit with, uh, with the, the Manjapani, uh, Backlund Kachuk group and sort of rotate him in there and see if there's a fit because if he's going to be playing in the NHL next year, he's going to have to play in sort of the, the top six, middle six. So I think he's going to get a really long at camp because I think he's, he's got the smarts to do it. And he's got the speed to do it. But I just think it's a question of physically, is he developed enough? Does he have sort of the, the muscle on him to maintain it? So the short answer is we're going to find out in September, but the, for the, the Flames have a pretty good amount of depth in the, the upper echelon of their of their prospect base, and outside of uh, Pelche and Valimaki, you know, a lot of these guys just sort of force their way into that mix by sheer force of will. Because the Flames haven't had a lot of you know first, second, or third round picks the last couple of years, but they've managed to make a lot of hay with a lot of late rounders. We're in conversation with Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca. He joins us Mondays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, Pike, you, you wrote this a few days ago now, uh, but you put this up at FlamesNation.ca, and it is kind of interesting. I mean, business in some ways does go on for NHL organizations right now, and the Flames, they, they do have some pending decisions to make when it comes to a couple of prospects. Tell us a, a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, so June 1st, uh is the deadline for two guys to sign with the Flames or the Flames lose their North American rights. So the two guys they have are uh, Linus Lindstrom, who plays in Sweden, and Milos Roman, who uh, just finished up his overage year with the Vancouver Giants at the Dub. Uh, Lindstrom 
is a really interesting character in the sense that you know he's sort of taken the the long route. He's sort of backlandy in some of his attributes. He's you know a, a two way guy with a little bit more of a defensive minded bent than Backlund has. But the last couple, especially this this season, the back half of the season, Lindstrom was really really productive for Skellefteå to the point where you know he was arguably one of the better players down the stretch. And it's kind of a shame that he just get to play in the playoffs because he was, he seems like a kind of type of guy that would make a difference in those playoffs. Uh, but the question for for both of them is, you know, are they ready to play pro hockey? I mean, Milos Roman was an overager and an import, last, you know, this past season. Uh, what we call in the business a two spotter because he's taking up two spots that could uh, be used for other guys. And usually for overagers in the WHL, they're the guys that are sort of blowing the doors off offensively. The guys who do a lot of things, you know, in all situations, you know, if you follow the Calgary Hitmen, you know, Mark Kaslik was the team's league scorer as a 20 year old, you know, he was probably one of those dominant players in the team, one of the most dominant players in the league. That's sort of the prototype for what you want to have for an overage sport. Uh, Milos Roman was not that he was, he's an effective complimentary player. Second, you know, second, third line player, uh, wore the captaincy with, uh, with Vancouver, but he didn't blow the doors off. And he's, much like Lindstrom, he's not like one of those. He's not one of those guys that's going to blow the doors off offensively. So it's hard to really judge for him whether or not he's ready to go. Because you know, do you want to put him in the AHL? You probably want to see what he has. But based on what you've seen in the Western Hockey League, you might be a little bit nervous about signing him to an NHL deal. So I could easily see the Flames seeing if either of those gentlemen would want to come in on an AHL deal. Uh, the Flames did something similar with uh, Adam Willis Matson a few years ago, where you know he he was a good but not breathtaking Swedish player, and they wanted to give him a chance. They wanted to see, so they signed him to an AHL deal for a couple of years. He was useful depth for Stockton, but he didn't really you know move the needle a lot. And then he went back home to Sweden, and I think he gave himself a chance to really show what he could do. And then he went back home, and he's playing. He's actually playing with Malmo for uh, Rasmus Anderson's dad. Uh, so I could see the Flames doing something like that. You know, they've been pretty active with using their AHL deals strategically like that. If they're in a situation where, you know, they don't have butterflies about a prospect, but they think he's got, you know, some tools and they want to see develop, AHL deals could be a way of doing it. So we'll see what happens. You know, like I said, there's still two months before they have to make a decision on either guy. And if they sign AHL deals, you know, they're still open to other clubs uh, giving them an NHL chance. Maybe the Flames are a little bit hesitant to, you know, make a huge commitment to either guy, but I think they, you know, they're drafted both guys because they like them and you probably don't want to cut bait with them entirely. Final thought for you, Mr. Pike. And that's just on what this, what this looks like when we get through this. And I think the 31 NHL cities are all going to get through this pandemic situation, this crisis at different times. And that's what makes really predicting a, end of the nhl season when what how it really makes it difficult but what's uh what's your feel on what this all looks like and if when how the nhl is able to come out of this and award a stanley cup at some point in 2020 oh i hope it happens i mean i'm i'm kind of a pessimist i'm thinking we might not see hockey until september because of the things you alluded to the fact that there's 31 different markets that are all in sort of 31 variable situations uh but you know if everything goes well and everyone stays indoors for a little bit and we end up getting hockey back uh, i kind of like mark giordano's idea of the the big mega tournament i mean 
twelve and twelve with a couple buys in each conference would be kind of cool. Uh, I'd need to see some bracketing for it and see how how they want to slot it out. But you know, I I think you know if you're going to do a bunch of scrambling to get thirty teams ready to go and then the thirty one teams ready to go, then all of a sudden you know half of them are done after a couple of weeks. I don't think that's really. I think that sort of doesn't make a lot of sense because I think uh, it might <laughs> it might get people a little bit uh, tired of all the trouble they had to go through for so little things. I mean, do you want to have hockey in Detroit, Ottawa, and L.A.? That won't really matter. Probably not. But if you can figure out a way to keep as many teams engaged in the process for as long as possible, you know, maybe do, you know, a really short preseason, you know, give everyone two or three games to knock the rust off and then throw everyone into the, into the, the fray for a bit, I think it'd be kind of fun. Uh, I think this is the first time in a while that potentially we can get wacky and creative with some ideas. So, you know, Playing games, twelve, te- you know, twelve, twenty-four team tournaments. Get as many teams involved for as long as you can. I think it'd be a lot of fun, and I think it's going to be, you know, knocked on wood. I think it could be kind of wacky, and you know, we've gotten some of the coolest stuff in hockey the last few years. I mean, remember when we remember when we all heard about three-on-three overtime? We we're like three-on-three overtime. Mm-hmm. That sounds dumb. It That'll is never hard. work. Yeah, so I, I think you know, I think I think if we're if everyone in our hockey community can be a little bit open minded and go, you know, I'd much rather have wacky hockey than no hockey. So if that's the choice, let's just do it. Let's get, let's get weird. I like getting weird with you, Pike. We'll talk again next week. Stay safe, pal. Appreciate it, my man. See you, buddy. That's Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or deliveries available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. Atlas Pizza, great way to shop local during this crisis. The more we can do that, the more our city is going to thrive once we come out of this thing. It's Pat Steinberg along with you. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Next up, a little wild card Wednesday. Yes, it's a Monday, but you know how we do on Pandemic Radio. A little wild card Wednesday. Let's get weird. Speaking of which, next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. Welcome back to the program. Happy Monday. Boy, is it foggy outside. Uh, If you wanted even less reason to go outside, the fog would be it. Welcome back to our program. It's Pat Steinberg here uh, from the 20th floor of this Beltline condo. Pinder is at the uh is at his uh lovely palatial office that you okay there oh, almost died on the air uh that is uh, usually used by his wife and uh, logan is holding down the fort at our sportsnet 960 world controls the basement systems downtown studio gentlemen we ready to play a monday edition of wild card wednesday I find the Monday editions are the best editions outside of the original Wednesday editions, and I do like the Friday editions well. Not to mention Tuesday and Thursdays are all right, but I'm ready for a Monday. Yeah, yeah sure. You know what? Uh, on Pandemic Radio, this is called a segment killer, and boy, do we like killing segments on Pandemic Radio. Here are the five categories in our Wild Card Wednesday casino. 
We've got pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We've got our big slot machine. Each one of us pulls the lever once. Uh, it stops on one of those five categories. One person asks. We all answer. It's a very simple concept that we have uh, put to use many times so far since the sports apocalypse began. Logan, you volunteered during the break. You're going first. Let's rock and roll. Personal life. Oh, okay. Uh, gentlemen, you have Ooh. been gifted $100,000 to donate to any charity of your choice. What charity are you donating the money to? Ooh, feel good one. I like it. A new it. wrinkle here. Um, There's a new wrinkle with the pandemic. Uh, That's a good question. And it's going, It's it's got to be all, every penny goes to one? Yeah, you can't, you're not splitting it up. You're giving it to one charity. Interesting. I can go um, first because I know this kind of takes a, a second for you to decide. So I, I have an answer. I can go first to buy you guys some time if you'd like. Okay, you go first. Okay. Um, as a uh, my grandfather was in the military for a lot of years, and as somebody who uh, has uh, experienced some friends with uh, PTSD coming back from different military things, um, I'm a big fan of a charity. It's called Canines for Warriors. Uh, they take shelter dogs that have been abandoned or whatever the reason the dog got to the shelter, and they uh, train the dogs to be aid dogs for uh, soldiers and uh, different people coming back from military missions with PTSD. So they're taking a shelter dog that normally wouldn't have much of a life or future going forward. Uh, they train them, help them to be uh, good aid dogs for someone who's coming back with PTSD. Uh, totally free of charge. They're there to help them for life. Any training or any assets and stuff that the person might need. Uh, they'll do everything from uh, people with disabilities, not just PTSD, but uh, all the different sort of stuff like that. Uh, they've long since been a, a very favorite charity of mine since I heard of them. Uh, so that's probably where I would give the money to. I've got mine as well. Um, I would go especially, I, I think I would do this regardless, but especially now, uh, look, this is, we've got we've got a virus right now that is very dangerous to human beings physically, and the things that this virus can do to people are very terrifying, but on top of that, we also are being isolated. Some people who live alone or who are new to the city or are coming out of relationships or whatever the case may be, a lot of people aren't seeing anybody. A lot of people don't have somebody to quarantine or self-isolate with or don't have family close or whatever the case may be. I'm, uh, I'm donating that $100,000 to... Um, my good friends at the Distress Center, uh, because the Distress Center is 24-7. They uh, take your phone calls. Uh, they chat with you online. They give you that support. They give you somebody to talk to if you're in crisis, but they also will give you somebody to talk to if you're feeling lonely. Uh, and, and they do an incredible job. Uh, 403-266-HELP is the number. Uh, distresscenter.com is the website. They they get plenty, well, not plenty, but they do get 
get you know important support from the United Way and and from government agencies and stuff like that. But they always are in need of help, and they have got a mandate for 365 days a year, 24/7, to be able to answer the phones. And right now, the demand is higher than it's ever been. So that hundred thousand dollars for me is going to uh, the distress center here in Calgary to help them support them with the incredible work that they do each and every day. Okay, and Pat, you uh, you went specific to the pandemic, so I'll pretend we're in the post-pandemic uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow land that we're all excited about getting to sooner than later. I'm going to say our good friends at Kidsport Calgary so that uh, we already know there's financial barriers and strains on families that make it hard for kids to get into sport at a young age. You're going to have even more of those when we come out the other side of this. So uh, not unlike any other charity, I'm sure it's it's uh, need is only going up. So I'll say Kidsport Calgary. So Kids can enjoy the life's lessons of, of getting into sport that uh, I think are so valuable to having fruitful lives. So I'll say kids sport. It's really tough to have a bad answer on that one. Logo going feel good on us on the uh, first question on Wildcard Wednesday. I like it. Uh, that's a good way to start it off. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll ride those feel good vibes. I'll go next, Logo. Career. Career is mine today. Here is uh, just a simple question. Yes or no, but I need a why. Show your work. Gentlemen, could you be a server in a restaurant? Could you be able to handle from from all of the things that go into it, could you be a successful server at a restaurant? Yes, and I have been, Pat, and I would do it again if life requested that of me. I enjoyed it a ton, really social. Uh, No two work days the same get to interact with a bunch of different people. It's kind of the Pinder wheelhouse. Uh, we are going to have to work on my my shabby memory. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot to put that dessert order in. But, I mean, I'll make up for it with dumb comments and laughter that you'll have at your table. So I, I think uh, all in all, it'll be a good experience for you, Pat. And I do recommend that uh, you take a look at our dessert menu. The, the Some of the things we have uh, on feature this week are just outstanding offer. Uh, uh, for me. No. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Logo. No, you, go, you go next. All right. Uh, it's a big no for me. I did uh, the retail for a while before uh, going into college, and uh, I've learned that I really don't like a whole lot of people, uh, especially when you have to serve them, and uh, I just don't really have an an off button when it comes to maybe people not being the nicest or the most appreciative of things, so it would probably not uh, be in my best interest to be in a, a service industry where I'm aiming to please people and, you know, try to make them as happy as they can be, so... I would probably steer clear of uh, that career. For me, I here are the reasons why I couldn't do it. Um, you know, I think I could put up with uh, people being rude to me or unkind. I, I like my whole family for the most part. Like I was raised in the service industry. Uh, my dad was the lone person working in the family for. I want to say the vast majority of my childhood and, and even into the early teen years. Uh, and he did that as a waiter downtown. He, he put uh, put two of us through school uh, on, on waiter's wages. He worked his tail off, and he'd be in bed at 3.30 in the morning every night and um, up at times with us in the morning. Like So my brother was a server. My mom worked in the service industry for a good chunk of time. So I was raised in the service industry, uh, and, and I appreciate what these human beings do do 
to such a, a large degree. Uh, I hate bad tippers. Um, I hate people who are anti-tipping. Uh, I think that it uh, doesn't appreciate the difficulty of this job at times. I just know I couldn't do it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could put up with the uh, all the multitasking. Um, I also am extremely clumsy, and the amount of times I would drop $60 entrees or $60 platters worth of drinks or whatever the case may be would just be, you know, it would be too prohibitive for the restaurant to keep me on to begin with. Um, I just, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could put up with all of the strain that goes along with it. And I don't think I'd be very good at it. So I'm going to say no, I could not be a server. And that comes from the place of respecting the difficulty of that job. Okay, my turn, boys. Yep, you're the last one. Let's rock and roll. I've been sitting on a sports one for a while. Wild card. Ah. Guys, you know what I like about wild card? You're going to use your sports question. question. (laughs) That's right. So would you, you have the, the A or B option. You're a very expensive vet in the NHL. The team has no use for you. You have a no movement clause. They cannot assign you to the American hockey league without your approval. Do you choose Robida Island or do you want to be the king of the AHL making your millions riding the bus with some youngsters trying to get to the big show? So essentially, so essentially, just to, to clarify this, uh, we're, we're Wade Redden. The New York Rangers have, have given us whatever six times six or whatever his contract was. But sure. now I'm not really a very good NHLer anymore. But I've also been given a no-movement clause. They want to send me to the NHL, but with a no-movement clause, you've got full autonomy over whether or not you can be put on waivers or not. Do I allow this to happen or not? That's, that's essentially the situation you're, you're presenting for us. I will phrase it a touch differently. Which do you choose to do? Stay on your own, practicing by yourself without the NHL team in the NHL team's building or go down to the American League and play with uh, the affiliate club to make all your money. Which do you do? Robodaw Island, the king of the American League. I'm going American League for a few different reasons. Number one, I'm still playing. I'm still making millions of dollars. And, yeah, you know what? I may not be flying in the five-star charters and staying in the five-star hotels. And, you know, it's it may not be quite the NHL experience, but I'm still playing hockey for millions of dollars. It's still a pretty high level of hockey. Um, so I'm going down that road. And knowing the type of personality I am, it would be a hit to the ego. It would be a hit to the confidence, no doubt about it. But then I would uh, – I. I would take the right attitude, I believe, and I would try to work my way back up. And, you know, maybe I'm successful, maybe I'm not. But I, I think I'd put my nose to the grindstone and, and go down there with the right attitude, enjoy it as best I can, maybe live the minor league lifestyle, which seems pretty fun, but do so with millions upon millions of dollars in my bank account. I'd, I'd go down that road. Um, boys, I'm not going out like no Carl Alsner. Uh, sorry, boys. You signed me to that contract. You uh, you gave me firm. you gave me the no movement clause. Life's tough, but uh, you made the mistake. It's not my fault that you uh, couldn't get it right or you didn't have the right projections. Uh, I was given by you the choice as to whether or not I wanted to go down through any point during my contract. 
I have no, you know, qualms about going down. I think that there's, for me, it would be more of the mental thing than everything. And I understand totally, especially, you know, in pro sports, that there's value for some in being the mentor and being that sort of, you know, person for an organization. But I think at the end of the day, it's still a business and they would treat you uh, as a, a part of the business if given the opportunity in this situation. They don't have the opportunity uh, given the circumstances that Ryan's laid out. So, look, too bad, so sad. You uh, gave me the no-move clause. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to uh, enjoy the millions you're paying me from the uh, comfort of my NHL city. Yeah, and that's the respect, Nicholas Baxter spot it. that allowed him to arrive in Calgary. Remember that one? Yeah. Yes. Minnesota couldn't send him down. There you go. Um, here's why King of the American League is the right answer, boys. Because... A thousand dollar bar tab in the American League, you will be everyone's hero on that uh, team if you pick it up, and that might not get anyone halfway through an appetizer at an NHL restaurant. Also, there's no escrow in the AHL, and as Patty said, so you're banking you can read, all of it, right? There's no escrow. You take everything rather than yep. okay, you're going to have to give fourteen percent back. Um, and on top of that, I think just your ability to play the game. Get back to the roots. Remember, remember why you fell in love with the game. I want to be king of the American League, Pat. I don't want to rot practicing after the main group, hanging out with strength trainers and seventh coaches on the roster. Screw that. I respect it. And look, I remember when remember when Matt Sundin decided not to waive his no trade clause in Toronto or his no move clause and was like, no. I'd like to stay here. And he was roundly criticized by Leafs fans. How dare you do that? I also respect Logan's answer. Like, you've been given this clause. This was something that you bargained into your contract. Well, when I use this thing that I've bargained for, I can't be criticized for it. So I'd never be critical if you decided to do that. Just personally, I would want to still be playing hockey. I like the answer. I, uh, I, like the I think uh, you can understand both sides of it, but I, I think the sneaky one is escrow. You forget. You go to the American League, you make more money. You literally are making more money if you get sent to the American Hockey League from the NHL by a tune of like 14%. So that ain't nothing. Uh, boys, good work. Is that all three of us already? We ripped through all of them? So that was quick. Yeah, there is a, uh, another edition, a Monday edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Another good addition, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll do it again tomorrow here on Pandemic Radio on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Up next, news of the day. We'll uh, let you know what is happening around the NHL and specifically some news involving the Calgary Flames. In fact, both teams in the province of Alberta. And at the top of the hour, if you missed it, Elliot Friedman joins us, our NHL insider, just after 5 o'clock. It's Pinder and Steinberg on a foggy Monday. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, Pinder and Steinberg, 452. Busy 5 o'clock hour for you. Sports Drive at 5 of Elliot Friedman, also Calgarian Mike Soroka, and we'll catch up with Joel Otto ahead of the 7 o'clock airing of Game 7 against the Vancouver Canucks of the 1989 playoffs. Round 1 tonight, Pat. This was... One for the ages. It might be the one single game that gets brought up more than any others from that entire cup run in 1989. Yeah, that, uh, hey, look, that that game was pivotal. 
Otto's goal was pivotal. Uh, obviously, I, I believe he, he, he'll downplay it after 5 o'clock, but I believe one of the most important goals ever scored in, in Calgary Flames history, like top two, three, maybe number one, um, just because of the stakes of the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, Canucks fans still bemoan it. I went and watched it. He didn't kick it in. It went off his skate, but there was no kicking motion. It's fine. Um, it would have counted under video review if they had it back then. Yeah, well, and see, good luck. I mean, he, back then, I mean, you could, you could get away with everything. If, if that thing came back, that'd be crazy. So, anyway, we'll have that conversation after 5 o'clock. And at 7, we'll drop the puck. 1989, Olympic Saddledome, Canucks, Flames, Murray, McLean, Roberts, Newendike, Otto. It's going to be good. Can't wait. That's going to be a ton of fun. And we continue a lot of our classic sports games and play-by-play throughout the remainder of the week. Two things I want to do here, Pat. First off, 29 new cases of COVID-19 in the province. That's an extremely low number compared to a lot of others we've seen in the last two weeks. But testing is way down as well as uh, it seems tests aren't as readily available as they have been in the past. So not sure that we can draw massive conclusions here, except that – at least this number isn't spiraling upward and out of control. No, do we uh, do we have a testing number for today as compared to even yesterday, or is that stuff not available as of yet? I haven't seen it published as of yet, but uh, there has been a note that they're less accessible as, as they have been, so we'll see how that situation changes. It's clearly fluid. Uh, moving forward, but uh, better 29 than 129. That's for darn sure. No doubt. There were, uh, on on the uh, darker side of things, or the gloomier side of things, there were uh, five more deaths today, um, and, and that is, uh, I believe, uh, two in Calgary, uh, which brings our province's total to eight deaths uh, since COVID-19 has hit. So this has been the deadliest day in Alberta uh, in terms of the deaths. So that would be the, uh, that would be the, the darker side of today's news. So uh, thoughts and prayers to those families affected out there today. Uh, but we're, you know, at this point, the, the best you can hope for is that those numbers remain somewhat steady and uh, in the in the double digits, not getting too crazy or out of control, and then uh, start to drop here in the next number of weeks. I think we'll really start to see, uh, or at the very least, we get the potential um, of starting to see how the social distancing measures of the last couple of weeks have really paid off. I think we'll start to see that here in the, in the next coming week or so. So fingers crossed that uh, we can continue to stay on top of this thing here in Alberta. To this point, uh, I think we've done a pretty darn good job. Okay, secondly, I need you to relay a story that uh, you were unfolding to Logan and I over mm. a commercial break earlier today. It's pandemic time. It's stay in your home time, which means, uh, well, you, you probably end up sifting through a part of your home or maybe cleaning up a cupboard that you hadn't before. Uh, get us up to speed on exactly what you sorted through over the weekend. Okay, so you know, and, and much like uh, much like you listening right now, much like many fellow Calgarians and Canadians, uh, for instance, the. Uh, news today coming out of Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation. The current situation has has made it so that they've had to do some temporary layoffs and some salary rollbacks. The Oilers announced the same thing. Many of other many other professional sports teams in North America have had to do this as well. Um, 
you know, tough financial times. People are taking hits. I've taken a, a financial hit, so things are pretty lean. So I'm, you know, doing my best to spend as little money as possible. But I really wanted to, you know, I, was, I wanted to do some sort of takeout on Saturday. I was like, I'm feeling like, you know, something salty and, and something a little I don't want to spend twenty, thirty, forty dollars here. So I scoured through a pile of gift certificates that I have, and I found a Pizza Hut gift certificate. I don't know where I got it or when I got it, but it was so faded that it had to be about six, seven, eight years old. I went and I looked in the back, went to the Pizza Hut website and check to see if there's still money on it. Yep, it was full value. It had $25 on it. I'm like, boom. It also said that it was good for use at KFC and Taco Bell because those three companies are all aligned under Pepsi. So I'm like, all right, well, I want some I want some KFC. So I went online. I looked to see what the, the hours are, and um, this is about 9 o'clock. So the one on Edmonton Trail closes at 9.30. I'm like, okay, probably not going to make that. But the one on 16th Ave in Bone S on the way to COP is open till 10 o'clock. So I hop in the vehicle. Uh, I head out to KFC. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go pick up some KFC. I get there. Um, they had a deal on. It was uh, called the, uh, the Classics Bucket. It gave you eight pieces of original recipe, uh, a large popcorn chicken, which, let me tell you, is the size of a cowboy hat, and, and, uh, and a large fries. I'm like, let's do it. It was $27.99 with tax, came out to just under 30 bucks. gave the $25 gift card, took the, uh, took the girl at the, the front, the poor lady at the front. <laughs> She, she was trying. She had to do a couple of wipes of the swipe because it was a pretty old card, but she eventually mm-hmm. got it and uh, ended up costing me less than $5, and I've had food that I could snack on and use for lunch uh, ever since Saturday. I feel like I've, I feel like I've been pretty economic. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and the KFC definitely hit the spot. It's decision-making like that. I just don't worry about you in a pandemic, Pat. I really don't. I mean, assuming, <laughs> well, obviously, now. you sanitized your hands and you – you wash. I do. I'm doing that. I'm doing that well. Public, but uh, that's that kind of resourcefulness that I think really is going to pay off in spades between now and whenever this apocalypse okay. passes or this near apocalypse. You want you want a little bit more into the uh, the life of Steinberg though. Um, I uh, I was I'm I'm down to final roll of toilet paper, and I have oh, been dear. scouring everywhere luckily my parents are like we we uh, were able to find a 24 pack so if you need help we can help you it's okay well, that's that's very nice of you uh but i'm like i i don't really want to rely on my parents for toilet paper but you know you don't have a choice you don't have a choice uh i scoured all weekend uh in and around my area there's a shoppers on 17th there's a london drugs on 8th there's a co-op across the parking lot there's a safeway um and and there's a um uh, urban fair so there's five grocery stores or supply stores in in very easy easy walking distance scoured them all friday night nothing saturday nothing sunday four for four nothing i go into co-op as a last ditch no you can't have lost pat now did we just lose pat logan we lost pat no, I just looked at my phone. I'm like, is this me? This is the climax nope. of the story. Nope, that's, that's exactly what happened. Is the climax oh. of his paper, uh, his toilet paper story, and now he has fallen off. The, this is the first time in like a week that Pat's fallen off. 
right at the crooks of the most important part of the story. Now it's cliffhanger. We'll come back with exactly what happened to Pat. Sports Drive at 5 underway next. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It is the Sports Drive at 5 portion of Pinder and Steinberg. Welcome back. It is Monday if you've lost track of the days of the week, and normally that would be a shot. But in these times, Pat, totally understandable. No problem. Uh, I feel bad. You were getting to the most important, like the – I was on the edge of my seat. I was worried. You were on the hunt for toilet paper. You were 0 for 4 going around the stores in your neighborhood, and then you cut out right when we were getting to the punchline. You got to finish that story. Yeah. Basically, there. I so I walked into co-op. I'm like, okay, let's see if I can. Uh, there's probably not going to be anything. I walked in, and boom, there were three six packs of uh, three six packs of double rolls left. Limit one. Oh. I took the one and took it as a big time win. Uh, so I, I was able to uh, I was able to continue on without having to lean on my parents for toilet paper, which would have been a benchmark low for myself. I, that that would have gone down in the. Yeah, I borrowed toilet paper from my family, uh, so I was able to avoid that. I felt very good about that. Uh, I had uh, I had a stroke of luck on Sunday afternoon. Thank you to Co-op for having that, but. Whew. I was uh I was starting to get a little antsy. I was like, this this might actually happen here. And I know that there are places that you can go, but you know, I'm, I'm trying not to drive. I'm trying to be in the house as little as possible. Oh, sorry, in outside as little as possible. So anyway, I, I got it done. I was happy, and uh, I found the toilet paper I needed for the time being. I feel like you could look into a bidet Exciting as stuff. well, but that's probably a story for another day. The, the bidet chapter that might be a hasn't post, been written that yet. That might be a post-pandemic uh, conversation that we can have okay. if we're going to do that. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Friedman joined us earlier today, our NHL insider. Lots to talk about, whether it be uh, pandemic tips, Tiger King reviews, and if, when, how the NHL might resume. We touched on all of it with our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night, earlier today. Well, I mean, right, Ryan, I think we all realize that this is a, this is now a summer hockey league at best, right? Yeah. And uh, I think everybody is prepared for the possibility that we won't play it in front of fans. That may change. I don't know. But I think we all realize that the odds decrease about fans. Um, you know, I, I think something that's very interesting is if you follow some of the basketball stuff, um, the Chinese Basketball League is, is basically going to put players in pods, right? And, you know, there was a, there's a reporter who was pretty connected in the NBA. His name is Brian Winhorst. He works for ESPN. And he said yesterday, last weekend that he's heard that the NBA is considering something similar. You put players in pods and basically them and their family live in a bubble until you get the playoffs done. And I think that kind of idea has been thrown around in the NHL. I just don't think anybody knows now what it's going to be. But I think we're looking at uh, – the summer at the earliest, more likely than not without fans, although who knows if that changes, but more likely than not without them. I don't know if it's going to be in one site or multiple sites or everybody's going to play. Um, I I believe there has been growing momentum to play some regular season games. You know, McDavid's point about going right into the battle of Alberta in the playoffs, I think people understand that that's very fair, that you you can't really start with that. So, um, I think the possibility is that there. And then you take a month off 
or maybe less, but at least, uh, but probably around a month. And you come back next year, try to play 82, no all-star game, no five-day break. Um, compress it if you can. But I think right now that's a wish. I just don't think that anybody knows right now if that's that can be where we're going. Uh, we are joined by Elliot Friedman, our NHL and uh, arts and film insider on Sportsnet 960 <laughs> The Fan. <laughs> <laughs> so and and uh was was reading your latest 31 thoughts over the weekend Elliot and and that what you talked about is the main reason we're talking about teams being asked about dates in August. I mean there mm-hmm. there is a uh, a very real hope that if if they're going to play like we're going to be talking about hockey games in August and and September at this point, right? Yes, I think that's kind of what we're looking at and um you know, like I said, I think there's a hope that they can be playing in July, but we don't know. Um, but, you know, I think, again, I do think so, right. It's August, September, and then we'll see. And then some time off, we'll figure out what we do with the draft. Um, all of that is there. And uh, um, I think, I think Pat, it's all about flexibility. Um, I think everybody knows this is a unique circumstance and we're going to have to play when the time is allowed to play. And you get the sense that everyone involved is perfectly okay with, with being as flexible as needed to make sure some, something gets done if it's possible. I, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because at times I've heard some players haven't been thrilled about July because it's not what their bodies are used to. Um, but I, I think in the long run, uh, it, actually, and I'll tell you something too, Pat, I, I had heard that on one of the calls, one of the teams that was out of the playoffs, I don't think anybody was trying to be difficult, but they were like, uh, hey, you know, really we're going to come back for 10 games and then be off for two months again. And then I think, you know, I, I look. I I think the, we all know that that nobody's going to feel sympathetic for right now for people who are making a, a ton of money, but you know the players are going to get hit with an escrow big check here if they don't play, and I think the players were kind of on each other that if we can play we have to because it's the best for the business ourselves and for the business as a whole. So I think anybody that might have had some concerns about it um, has now kind of been informed of it's okay. just for the betterment of the game. Now, I think there are some people who said don't rush. And I, I get that. I don't think anybody's going to be playing in, until the, the medical authorities give them a clearance to play. Look, the, if you take a look at Trump extended yesterday, the, the, basically the shutdown. And also, there's going to be the question of, can players who went overseas, can they even get back into North America? So Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody is going to be in a position to do anything here until basically we're allowed to. And I think everybody understands that. And and you would be, uh, I would imagine, in in my in most people's courts that suggest that Mark Cuban saying that they could be back before June first. That that seems pretty darn optimistic, hey? Yeah, you know, I hope he's right, but I tend not to believe that. I like to be optimistic too, Pat. But 
I think that's too optimistic. I can't see it. I, I, I can't see that at all. What What are you hearing from different teams in in terms of the business hits that they're taking, the the revenue losses? What What are we starting to see in that regard, Elliot? Well, I think right now, if we're in a situation where um, we don't, if we're in a situation now where they don't play at all, you're looking at a revenue loss of around a billion, 1.1 billion. Um, that's where we are. And a player escrow next year around 35%. If right now, I think if we play now or we play at some point this year, the losses are probably closer to about, you know, 20% of that, 200 million. But the escrow, but they recover a chunk of it. And the escrow uh, obviously goes up slightly, but not a ton. I think right now the the biggest question I think a lot of teams have is what are the league and the players association willing to negotiate on the salary cap? I think some teams would really love to see it go up. I just can't see that happening. Um, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I got to think right now if, if we keep it at eighty one and a half where it is, that's probably a big win for some of these teams, but mm. I know some teams have tried to pitch making it higher. I just, I just can't, I, I just think that's a really tough ask. Uh, is it, is it starting to become standard procedure where individual teams might have to scale back? I know some teams have already gone down this road in all the four professional sports, but starting to scale back salaries of team employees and, and that type of stuff. It, well, some teams have, yes. Um, some teams haven't, you know, Florida hasn't, um, I heard, uh, Columbus, I saw that they haven't, um, you know, Montreal did Boston did, um, you know, some teams are, are fighting the good fight here and they've decided not to do it. And, you know, I, I think the longer this goes, the, the bigger challenge it's going to be, but you know, we're all in this boat. Um, I have yep. great admiration for the teams that aren't doing it. And uh, I, uh, I think it's a great thing for, that they're doing because the only way we're going to make this is we're going to make this together. But the longer this goes, the bigger the challenge it's going to be, Pat. You know that. No doubt about it. No doubt. What, what was the significance of – and I, the players talked about not taking their final paycheck, right? What was the significance of that? Well, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things there. Um, um, I think that they're still discussing this possibility. So the players have a paycheck today, and that's their last full paycheck of the season. They have another paycheck on April the 15th that's only four days. Um, uh, it is basically, I should say it's five days. It's tomorrow the 31st and the first four days of April. So that's not a full paycheck. And it has been discussed, Pat, not to take it. Uh, now I've heard that I had heard that they decided not to do that, but someone warned me not to report that. They said that's still being discussed. I've heard that another possibility is taking a bigger slice of escrow off it. So right now they're at 14%. They could increase that percentage. I think this is all on the table, and uh, we'll see where they decide to go. Final one from from me, Elliot, and that's just 
on the overall scope of this story and as as an insider you're you know you're chasing stories that are are moving targets and are ever changing and you might be in on a trade tip here and hear that a trade's close and then all of a sudden that trade's off the table and that team's talking to another team so you you're used to covering moving target stories but you know from career-wise have you ever have you ever tried to keep on top of a story that evolves as exponentially as this one does and and is as much of a moving target as this one is you know i think it's almost the other way around pat it's just slow um you know people like uh people like like it's a move like i think if you're a a like a, a, a news reporter and people say mm-hmm. like there's news reporters or there's sports reporters i i think that's all total bs i think you're either a reporter or you're not Okay, mm-hmm. and you either have a willingness to chase a story, no matter what it is, or you don't. But I freely admit, at this point in time, like I'm in the toy department. Okay, there's other people there doing much more serious work than I am. But um, like those people, it's constantly evolving and it's changing. And um, you know, like the people I think, like the people up there who are like questioning Trump and trying to get him to answer a question like an honest human being those people are doing an unbelievable job um but your that story is constantly changing for me right now as a hockey reporter it's it's more like we're craving for some form of certainty that we can't give you right now like from the beginning and i've said it to you guys we're not really going to have a good idea until the end of April. And now that might be moving back. We may not have a good idea until the end of May. And, you know, even though, like, I wish we'd have more serious travel restrictions here in Canada, um, what's happening in the States affects us too. And they've really lost control of it. So I think it's almost the other thing, Pat. It's it's almost like people want want me to say, okay, what's going to happen and I think the timeline of knowing what's going to happen for us in hockey and all sports is being pushed back. And I understand that. I think it's really frustrating for people. You want some normalcy in your life and watching a hockey game could really help you with that. But our timeline is getting pushed back almost on a daily basis. Yeah, no doubt. A little bit of hurry up and wait. There's there's absolutely that going on right now. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada joining us on Pinder and Steinberg. I I wonder what the the following scenario looks like if the league projects considerably less revenue next year than it had over a full season this year. Like say for example, certain business or section of the economy gets hurt hard, they can't renew their suites. Uh, maybe you're not anticipating that the general public has the disposable income to go buy tickets to events like they could in the past. What does the universe look like where they project? less money made than more because this entire system of the cap has, has always been one that's grown either quickly, slowly, or somewhere in the middle, but it's never been one that's shrunk. What kind of a wrench would that throw in the system? Well, I think we're all going to find that out together, right? Yeah. I think we're all going to find it out together. Now, what do I think? I, I think, I think Ryan, that what it means is the, this is why I think the playoff format that the NHL comes back to, is, is a big deal. The, U, the U.S. hockey deals up after next season. Mm-hmm. That's your best chance. If you can come back with big numbers, that's your best chance of coming out with something good. 
that's your best chance. You know, you have Seattle, but Seattle, and I think they're, everybody's very excited about what could happen with Seattle, but look at, you know, how hard that city's been hit. Unfortunately, yeah. it's been one of the U.S. epicenters, yeah. and you don't know what that's going to mean. So you're, you're, that's one of your big hopes for revenue. Now it's unsure. But another big hope for revenue is the U.S. TV deal. And if you have something, if you come back with a good product and an exciting playoff, you have a chance to really show that you're still a very big TV property. And the commissioner tended to do pretty well with his TV deals. I know people didn't like this one, but his Canadian one was obviously uh, big. So, you know, I think that it's interesting to see if you, so I think that's a big thing for you. And, you know, I wrote last week, I do think that this is going to lead to a long-term labor deal. I think that the league and the players are going to realize this isn't the time for uncertainty. You have to give your uh, media partners and your advertising partners certainty. And I think they're going to have no choice but to do it. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Calgary Hitman assistant coach and Calgary Flames alumni, the one and only Joel Otto, joins us on the program right now. Joel, do you remember where you were when uh, that goal was scored in 1989? I do remember, actually. That's one of the few things I do remember. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was uh, quite a game, yes. Tell us about the, you know, there's there might be some some controversy in in some corners about that goal, but tell us uh tell us your view of that overtime winner in game 7. How did it all transpire from your perspective? Well, I obviously uh it was a a, a game that we're holding on Quite a bit, watching Bernie make quite a bit of saves. Um, uh, towards the end of the first uh, overtime, and I was out on the ice with uh, with Pep. I think Hawk and Lube was still on the ice from his shift, I believe. Uh, got the puck up to Pep, and he did all the work. I just tried to go to the net as best I could to try to be strong and, and get in front, and he banked it off my skate and went in. Uh, I, you know, obviously looking at it, I was in the crease. I can't remember the rules back then. If you could be in the crease, <laughs> it certainly wasn't a kicking motion by any means. I, I just watched it bank off, and then uh, I can't remember if I realized it went in then or if I heard the roar of the crowd or uh, saw everybody pretty excited. But uh, it was a pretty big moment, absolutely. It's funny because I I watched uh, I watched that goal a bunch of times today, uh, getting ready for the show, and I think I think it would like if they had video review like they have today. I think it would have counted. You're right; there was no distinct kicking motion. I think the goal would have still counted uh, by today's standards. So I I I don't think it's a controversial goal. So I I'm I'm with you on that front. Um, that tell us about. Tell us about that game because you talked about it. Mike Vernon was out of his mind in overtime. Stan Smeal probably still having nightmares uh, because of how good Vernon was in that overtime. But just being in that game, how close was it? How tight was that hockey game? Well, when, when you're in the moment and you're playing, obviously your your nerves are are before or during the during the day, the night before. You you're trying not to think about that too much, but th- that's when you're nervous. Once you're in the the moment you're 
you're fine. You're out on the ice. You're competing. You know, it's a hockey game. You're you're doing the best you can. Um, I don't think you're you're nervous per se. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I did watch a bit of it uh, a while ago. I think TSN had had the game on at some point. One of their classics things where they do it through the hour. And I, I, could, I can't remember, but Kirk McLean made an awful lot of pretty good saves as well that kind of gets overlooked towards the end of the third period. And in, in the overtime, I think we had a goal disallowed. Uh, but no no question, Mike uh, Mike was, you know, obviously huge. made tons of uh, big saves. The Schmiel overtime, Shkriko off the toe. Um, I think they hit the post on a wraparound. Um, a number of occasions that uh, probably should have went in, and you know you got to be lucky to to go on to the Stanley Cup. That was our our moment of luck, and we kind of never looked back after that. Yeah, you only lost three more times: once in the third round, and twice to Montreal in the Stanley Cup Finals. Do you think? Do you think the group needed that holy crap moment? The like, geez, this Canucks team is pushing us way more than we thought they were going to. Did you need that that scare to maybe get your team to the level it needed to be at to win a Stanley Cup? Oh, I don't think anybody needs a scare to get them to the level. We had a very good leadership group on the team. You know, a lot of veterans, um, and you know, ironically, nobody had won a cup before that. I don't know if that's a a stat or other teams have can lay claim to that. But, uh, you know, when we were able to win, it was the first time for everybody. Um, you know, your, your, your leadership guys, like I said, get you through that. Um, you know, as, as far as a wake up call, I think we had a great season. We knew what we were all about. I think it's just a matter of first rounds are so exciting and everybody's got a new lease on life. They, uh, like, uh, they were playing with with house money when they won the first game in our barn in overtime, and they kind of built momentum. They had a lot of great players that went on to have great careers. They were a good team. They were just becoming a good team, and they had a real good playoff as well. So you talked about it. You never looked back from there. Tell us about the the rest of that run then. You sweep the Kings. Uh, you lose one game in the next round, and then, as we mentioned, the two games against Montreal. What to uh, – what what was the rest of that run like for the group after Game Seven against Vancouver? Ah, uh, well, you're taking it game by game, and uh, you know you you go into L.A. and we had a pretty emotional series with Vancouver that uh, took us to the limits, and um, I believe they went seven with Edmonton as well, so they didn't have as much of rest. They were the same uh, going in against us, but I don't know if many people remember, but we were able to win Game One in overtime there. You know, Patter made a great play off the wall and fed it to Doug uh, Gilmore in the front, and we scored and, and kind of won Game One there. So if LA, I'm trying to think if Rob's tied it up late in the game when he got absolutely steamrolled by Dean Kennedy in front of their net. So little breaks like that as well that uh, helped us gain uh, game one and kind of kept put us or actually put us on the way after that. But uh, who knows if we would have lost game one, you know, another series. But, you know, playoffs is just a war of attrition. And we were pretty confident with the group we had. And we were very deep. Um, a lot of great, you know, both goaltenders were solid and could have played at any time. Bernie was at the peak of his game at that point. So I think we were quite confident what we could do. 
with Joel Otto, who uh, scored the overtime winner in Game 7, Round 1 against Vancouver in 1989. We're going to hear that game tonight, 7 o'clock, right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What about that playoff run for you individually, Joel? 19 points in 22 games. Was was that two-month run? Where would that rank for you in terms of the highest-level hockey you've ever played? I, I would say probably the most. Um you know, we went to the finals in 86, so you had a long run there. I was fortunate enough to go to the finals with Philly. Uh, we didn't uh, come out on top in that one either, but uh, was able to go to three three finals and um, certainly winning the cup and, and, and being part of that team was, for myself was was huge. I wasn't able to get out of the first round uh, more than I would like to admit in, in a lot of other seasons, um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, I like playoff hockey. I, you know, I, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Lease new lease on life. I didn't have obviously great statistics throughout most of my career in the regular season, but, uh, playoffs was, was different. It was, uh, it was going out there with no holds barred and, and going at it. So, yeah, I would say obviously that year was, uh, was certainly my, uh, biggest moment in hockey for sure. What do any any theories as to why playoff hockey suited Joel Otto so well? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not you know putting myself down too much for regular season. I thought you know for the most part I was fairly consistent. I wasn't the guy that put up tons of numbers every game, game in and out. Um, I tried to do more of the little things. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I evolved into a defensive player towards the end of my career because. I, <laughs> Uh, I think Bob Johnson used to say, oh, he's going to be the next Tim Kerr, and that never really came to fruition. So you try to stay in the league as best as you can. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, um, I I tried to play physical during my career, and maybe playoff hockey was more physical at that point, and it suited me best. So what was your – what was your regular line in 1989? What was who were who were the other two guys you were playing with most? Well, it's kind of funny for the for most of the year. I, you know, obviously I played with Pep for probably five straight years. We were center and left wing. Um, probably with Pep most of that playoffs. Um, they started. We like I said, we were deep. I mean, when you're sitting Pep and and Timmy Hunter at the, in the last game, and Landy was sitting out before that. Uh, Yuri Herdino was there. Um, Mark Hunter, I think, was injured for a bit, if I remember right, in part of the playoffs. So he wasn't. He was in and out. So we've got guys sitting that shouldn't be sitting. Um, I, I know I was probably with Pep mostly, but I do remember quite a bit with Yuri Herdino and Mark Hunter on the wings and Lanny on the wing, and uh, it was a bit of a hodgepodge. Tim Hunter once in a while. I know Theo was playing center. Uh, Brian McClellan, I think. Uh, the top two lines were pretty well set with uh, with Killer and and Powder and Mully and then Hawk and Lube, Nui and Robs and then uh, the rest of us guys kind of got into a little bit of a pool. So it was good. We all seemed to work pretty good together and and everybody contributed for sure. I was watching uh, last night 
late, but last night they were playing uh, the 1986 Game 7 win over the Oilers, and uh, they were showing uh, the, the big celebration after you guys knocked off Edmonton, and uh, there was Pep right in the middle of the celebration at the end of the game, and then watching the, the game 1989 that you scored the overtime winner, there was Pep right in the middle of the celebration. Pep, he hasn't aged much. He look he he looks pretty much the same now as he as he did in the in the nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. Other well, other than the hair, he hasn't changed much, and his attitude hasn't changed much. He's a big kid at heart for sure, still. But yeah, you know what? Obviously, a big uh, stalwart for this organization through his career and coming in in nineteen eighty and what he did throughout uh, that entire decade. Uh, pretty impressive. Okay. Last last question about 1989 and about that goal, but do you uh, do you ever wake up in the morning and and get a little bit of a chuckle knowing that you know what you're the guy with the the goal beside your name and perhaps the biggest goal or one of the most pivotal goals in Calgary Flames team history? No, I don't really. I think there was a lot of goals that were. Like I said, Gilmore's goal in game one of the L.A. series was pretty big. Newly scored an overtimer in Chicago series. Um, Gilmore's game winner in game six. Lanny's goal in game six. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I don't I don't think it's one of the – Jelen is all his goals. I don't certainly think it's one of the biggest. It was certainly a a big part of our run for sure that uh, that was able to go in. But uh, – uh, there's been a lot of great moments in Flames history. Uh, you know, obviously we wish we had more more cups to to lay claim to, but uh, we're we're moving on. I think you're being modest, my friend. Joel Otto, oh, no. Calgary Hitman assist, assistant coach, is with us, and 1989 Stanley Cup champion with the Calgary Flames joins us on Pinder and Steinberg. You play high school hockey, you're off to Bemidji State, and then all of a sudden, over the course of the next five years, you've played American League in Moncton in the Maritimes, and Calgary becomes home. You bring a Stanley Cup, the first ever. What was that like as a Minnesota guy to expand your hockey world uh, in the Flames organization? Oh, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. Um, you know, every year was you know another peak in my my career, I played high school hockey. As you said, I went to Bemidji, which was a NAIA school for my first two years. And then we went to division NCAA Division Two and Three my last two years. So that was another climb. And then I wanted to keep playing hockey and, you know, was able to have, a, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but my first agent was Brian Burke, who worked the phones all summer that year. And Huh. I ended up getting me a contract with Calgary, and and also that was a big step. And then playing in my first exhibition game was a big step. I obviously went down to the minors to begin that year, but I'm playing pro hockey, which is a big step. And then the end of that first year, I'm playing in the NHL. So all stepping stones for me, being in the right place at the right time, and you know, pretty pretty happy with the way things turned out. So tell us more about Berkey because he's obviously a guy that we're quite familiar with here, obviously with his role with the flames. And now of course, being one of the big personalities on TV talking about the sport, but what was that relationship like with them? And you know, how did you sort of watch his career evolve knowing him well from agent through the league and then into running teams? Oh, I love Berkey. I mean, he's a man who speaks his mind and has opinions and believes in that. Uh, You know, he, he, you'd be amazed if you talk to him, you know, the work he had to do to, 
to get me that contract uh, throughout the summer. It started with, you know, who, I'm a Division II hockey player trying to play pro that wasn't drafted, uh, wanted to keep playing, and he started out with tryouts in the American League. He started, then there was 10 game guaranteed 10 games in the American League, and then it was 25 games guaranteed in the American League, and finally worked to three different contracts. And um, it's it's amazing. It, the funny thing is, though, he was in Vancouver when we went to the when we won in '89. So he never seems to let us let it live down that he thinks I kicked it in that goal. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't understand it. You know, in Vancouver, all I get all this uh, hate stuff from Vancouver. But there was many other times where they should have beat Calgary and they didn't. And this was a year they never should have beat us. And yet they still can't get rid of it. So he's part of that too. Berkey uh, continues to the. Let me have it, but uh, he's he's a he's a very good man who's done a lot for this game, and it's uh, fun watching him on TV right now. Well, he would have been proud of you for your work in 1996 when you were part of that American World Cup team. What do you remember about that tournament? Because it's the one that we all try to forget as Canadians. Very proud of that moment as well. Obviously, uh, you know when USA Hockey's made a lot of strides. Uh, I was a high school senior watching the Miracle on Ice in 1980, and what a big thrill that was for, for our, for our, uh, for USA hockey. And, you know, the, the players that came, uh, you know, following that, uh, what that influenced the young generation. And I was, you know, what I, I, that roster we had in 96 was uh stock full of great players. I, I mean, it, it's, uh, I'm pretty proud to be part of that group and, uh, again, a goaltender kind of saved our bacon. We had to go into Montreal and win two games, and Mike Richter was phenomenal. Um, the games were great. We we came together uh, in a month uh, in a team. We went to Providence for our uh, training camp, and Ron Wilson and the coaching staff, Paul Holmgren and late John Cuniff, did a great job. Lou Amarello was our GM, and um, you know, it was clear from the start that we were here to, to make a statement and not, uh, I think Brian Wilson used the phrase, it's time to start driving the bus and not being a passenger in the back. And um, the guys, uh, we, we had a great time. We uh, we got to play some golf throughout that trip uh, in Providence and exhibition games and we were able to see some things and we, we had a great time and it was a culmination of a, a great time, a great month with uh, some great guys. Yeah, wow, some major personalities there and some stars of the game. That uh, too bad I can't remember any of it. That's just a huge shame. Uh, uh, when, did, when did you become? Uh, when did you know Calgary was going to be your home for the long term? Was there a point when that all made sense, or was it just a natural evolution? I think it was a lot of a, a natural revolution. After I retired in Philly, I played there for three years and finished and. My wife, Carrie, and I were trying to decide what we wanted to do, where we wanted to go. I think, uh, you know, I'm from the Minneapolis area, so that was kind of <clears throat> part of uh, the equation. We were lucky enough to still have a lake place up in northern Minnesota, and a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, things decided uh, that maybe it's best to kind of come to Calgary. I knew more people there. I hadn't really been in Minnesota in the winters or since uh, 1984 when I left. Um, always thought Calgary was a great place, um, good place to raise a family, very similar to you know the atmosphere and the, the people that I grew up with in Minnesota. And we made a great decision. My wife's from Calgary here, so it's been great. Our kids uh, were raised here, and we've still been able to fortunate enough to go down to the lake uh, 
in the summers as well, so I get the best of both worlds. Incredible. It's uh, Joel Otto, 1989 Stanley Cup champion, joining us on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Just uh, one final one, Joel, and and that's on your job now that uh, has you employed in hockey in Calgary, and that's as an assistant coach with the Calgary Hitmen. What What's the day-to-day like from a coaching staff standpoint, knowing that the season is done and, and you're not going to be playing for the Western Hockey League Championship? How, how much is the coaching staff in contact with one another and players? Like, what's, What does the day-to-day look like from a Western Hockey League's coach's standpoint right now? Well, all right. I'm, we're not really involved too much. I know uh, Steve uh, and Jeff, are probably going through a number of exit interviews with the players. We had a conference call with everybody and uh, Mike Moore as well, uh, addressing about the situation, obviously with the season being canceled and, you know, and then, cause we really didn't get to say goodbye to most of the guys to an extent. We had a impromptu meeting about a little over two weeks ago saying that the season had been postponed and time to go home and, you know, we'll wait out the weekend and see what happens. And so we've all been, in communication from home, um, you know, and talking, then the, they set the groundwork to get the, all the kids home uh, that following weekend. So just uh, just kind of going through the logistics, you know, we, we had three 20-year-olds that uh, were phenomenal kids, uh, you know, great pieces to our organization. Mark Kaslick was there for five years and epitomizes what a hitman is and Dakota Krebs, what a great leader, uh, coming here, a local kid uh, for the last three years, and Kyle Olson as well. Uh, didn't get a lot to see of Kyle towards the end. He was hurt for a bit, but another really good player, uh, uh, great leadership skills. And, you know, you never really got enabled, or never, we really never got an opportunity to say goodbye, thank you, blah, blah, blah. Um, never had a chance to kind of show what we had in the playoffs, so that was all pretty disappointing. Um but uh, we all get we'll all get through this. Um, I'm sure Steve and Mike uh, will be talking, and most of us will be talking on uh, plans and trying hopefully for a, for exhibition and training camp for next year. But now it's all in the hands of, of Jeff and the, and the scouts and being prepared for that next year. But as coaches, I think we'll just keep tracks on, keep tracks on our kids and. Make sure they're you know, able to do the work that they need to this summer to get ready for next year. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. So what does a major league pitcher with no firm date as to when opening day is going to be, what is he doing? Let's find out from Calgary's Mike Soroka, ace of the Atlanta Braves, who joined Pinder and I a little earlier today. Lots to get to with Mike Soroka. What a uh, bizarre spot major leaguers find themselves in. Here's Mike Soroka with us from earlier today. Well, where are you? What's going on, Mike? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, sitting on my couch here in Atlanta. I'm, uh, yeah, not doing too much. I had to, had the option to come home, but uh, all the border closure talk and all that kind of stuff was uh kind of creeping me out so i wanted to make sure if i if i needed to get back down here i'd be all right so i'm, I'm hanging out in atlanta yeah fair enough weird times uh, it feels like it would have been uh, a year since it happened but i believe it's only about two weeks since spring training was canceled walk us through i guess arriving early in florida getting work in preparing for 
I guess, Grapefruit League, and then all of a sudden, poof, the rug pulled out from under you. Yeah, I mean, we all kind of started this uh, started spring training with all the talks going on already because of, uh, you know, what had been going on in China and then even into um, uh, Western Europe there. But I don't think I don't think any of us kind of even realized anything as a possibility until, you know, right up until about a few days before we shut it down. Um, you know, we were thinking we'd probably end up just playing with nobody in the in the stands for a while. Um, but once we kind of got a chance to take a look at it and other leagues started canceling, and then once uh, those two NBA players tested positive, I think that, that's when uh, the cord got pulled for all of us. But, uh, I mean, real weird, really, for us because uh, we're used to sports and we're used to our schedules kind of being, I mean, really, for lack of a better word, above a lot of other things. You know, can we kind of, right. you know, we beat our own our own schedule in and we basically decide, you know, we get preferential treatment. We get to go around some things when there are issues, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's a really weird feeling to kind of just be boxed in to everything else in a, in a situation where uh, literally everybody has been affected by it's uh, it's a good point you make. As, as pro athletes, you, you get to skirt a lot of the real life issues that that you know many normal lay people get to have to deal with. But th- this is one that's entirely different. What were the days that followed the shutdown like? Because it, I, I guess you're kind of waiting for things to either start up again or wondering when you can go home. And I, I even think about just you specifically as a pitcher. Like a lot of these guys are stretching out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh... The information that was being given was obviously uh, difficult to take because, um, you know, everybody had questions that there was literally no answers to in the first place. Um, But getting into uh, when CPA and MLB finally got to meet and have talks about what players' options and clubs' options would be, um, you know, I think a lot of Cubs initially were keeping their spring training complexes open and, uh, even their home base is open, which I think some might still have them open. Uh, I know the Yankees made a big effort to keep going as as a team, um, but I think once one of their minor leaguers tested positive for the virus, I think that might have uh, all dissipated pretty quickly. So, um, you know, it, it, just, it took a couple of days to actually get some solid information as to where we were going, you know, my am I going to drive North? Am I going to fly to Calgary? Am I going to stick around here? It was kind of uh, up in the air. So um, we got to make sure a lot of us at least were on the same page. Uh, And then we just went from there. Yeah. Crazy. We're chatting with Mike Soroka, Calgarian uh, ready for the Atlanta Braves here on Pinder and Steinberg. Soroka, it's, it's Steinberg. Tell us about, what you're doing to stay active and and how you are keeping yourself somewhat in shape knowing the the limited resources that everybody's got and at at this time yeah i mean <laughs> they they told us to kind of treat it like an off season so um because of that i mean i'm going to be trying to get in better shape <laughs> uh <laughs> as always um i you know i've made some orders tried to get some uh home gym equipment and Hopefully a, a squaw rack and Olympic Olympic weightlifting set on on its way. 
Um, but a few of us have, have found fields and even contacted high school coaches nearby to be able to get on a high school field. Um, but uh, really just try and keep, keep our arms going is a big one for us because, um, you know, if we can stay to the point where, you know, if we're not throwing live VPs or anything, but we're at least throwing, you know, 40, 50, 60 pitch bullpens, uh, you know, simulated innings, at least it still gives us a chance to work on some things and also be more game ready when time comes. You know, we, we don't know exactly how long we're going to get when the time comes that they say, okay, um, you know, let's say restart date July 1st. We don't know if they're going to give us two, three weeks. We would assume that, but I mean, you never know. So we want to make sure that we want to give ourselves the best advantage to a stay healthy when that happens. Um, but B, keep our work capacity up because a lot of us as starters especially know that, say, we only play half a season and I only get to throw 100 innings this year. Um, it'd be a pretty big demand on everybody's bodies the next year to be able to go out there or to have to go out there and then throw right back up to 200 innings for everybody. I mean, if clubs are, clubs are so worried about innings and, and workloads now, um, I I wonder what they're going to have to do when they think uh, their entire staff only threw 80 to 100 innings, but they want to roll them out there for 220 the next year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's another one that we got to be careful of and make sure that uh, we keep going uh, uh, for our own health. Well, and, and especially in this day and age, Mike, like being a, a pitcher at any level of affiliated ball, everything is is so planned out, and and it's all, you know, building towards a certain date. Whether it's in spring training, when you're throwing hard, when you're throwing long, and ramping you up for your starts, or even any given week in the season, in terms of when you're tossing and when you're resting. But right now, you don't have a firm end date. You don't have a target date. How how challenging is that when it comes to your workouts and how much you're working out your arm? Yeah, that, that is a weird one too. That's a, like I said, a situation that none of us have ever really been in because uh, when you're ready, it's either you're coming back from an injury and getting ready to get back in there, or uh, like I said, spring training building up to it. So um, I will say it's kind of fun to be able to to see. You know, I've been playing catch with Sean Newcomb every day, um, and it is getting fun to be able to to get out there and and see what game ready stuff looks like because we're both kind of letting it eat at each other on our days where we're, we're, we're feeling good. And, you know, obviously we take, take a couple of easy days in there, but when we're both uh, letting it go, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, he, he spins it and throws his curveball. I mean, it's, to me, it's one of the best curveballs in baseball and uh, it makes me laugh every time he throws it to me. It doesn't matter every single day. I see it. I've seen it for a week now, and I still laugh when he throws it to me. Um, so, in that sense, it's been kind of fun to be able to see that, um, and again, be able to work on things. You know, I was just talking to my dad about um, learning a few things from him and having extra pitches and extra throws to be able to mess around with some things. It's kind of interesting that way. Uh, if we've been given all this time where we feel so good. Uh, and why, I mean, may as well work on things and, and try and get better while we're at it, you know? So say, just just for sake of conversation, you get word that, okay, opening day will be 
June 15th. What? How much time, ideally, do you need to make sure that you're ready to go? And how much time, ideally, do you think, from just an overall baseball standpoint, other players are going to need? Um, I think hitters pretty well agree that they really only really need about two weeks' worth of at-bats if, they, if they're to take, you know, three at-bats a game. Um, so for hitters, I don't think it's their – that's really their worry. Um, it really is for the starting pitchers like myself. So um, if I were to line out what it would look like for me and what I'd need is if, if I get back to the point where I'm throwing a bullpen or at least an extended bullpen or even lives, if, you know, a few of the guys that live here in Atlanta come out and um, we rig up some sort of uh, live VPs going on. Uh, let's say we're at about a 45, 50 pitch count. Uh, which should get you three innings. Um, it, to me, once you're at three innings, then it would you'd probably only need, I'd say, four full games to get your pitch count back up. So okay. that's probably a good three-week, I'd say a good three-week spring training. Um, even if you had to start the season with your starters at, you know, at, at 90, say they weren't even at 100 pitches yet, then you could still get, you're still, you still should get, six, seven innings out of a lot of guys at 100 pitches. Uh, you don't need everybody ready for the 120-pitch, 130-pitch marathon of a game, you know. Um, they could always make allowances for an extra guy in the bullpen. And now this year with that 26th man on the roster, they might just yeah, carry carry a lot, an extra long man in the bullpen for mm-hmm. situations like that. Are you, like, is it daily contact with the Braves conditioning staff, strength and conditioning, or is it is it a plan that's been given to you? What What's that look like right now? Uh, well, it, somebody usually, I mean, somebody reaches out every day to make, their, make sure everything's going on. And, uh, mostly it's with our training staff just to make sure everybody's healthy and, and uh, doing all that, see if we need anything. Um, but, uh, no, for the most part, I mean, it's, it, I think they trust most guys, and I think you're going to have to because it is, at the end of the day, it's your own career. Um, and if you, if you, I mean, if you want to take the time to stay in shape and get better, that's uh, that's up to you. I mean, it's going to show when we come back which guys uh, put their mm-hmm. kept kept putting their work in and which guys didn't. And I think at the end of the day, yeah, a you're hurting the club, but. Uh, B, you're hurting your own career. So I think uh, they trust most guys to be able to come home and uh, still get their stuff in. Mike Zaroka, Atlanta Braves pitcher and proud Calgarian joining us on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. How are you staying sane, Mike? What are you doing? Are you reading? Are you cooking? Are you doing (laughs) art? Are you streaming like crazy? We're all Uh, trying to figure out what normal hmm. is. Day, uh, days I've found are actually going by fairly quickly, uh, a lot quicker than I thought they would. Um, but, yeah, cooking cooking for myself, obviously. Um, you know, I, I've only been to Costco once. And I, I went once when I first got here, and I stocked up, so I shouldn't have to go for uh, at least probably another couple of weeks. i got a freezer full of meat here now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, cooking cooking for myself every meal, actually starts to take up quite a bit of time when you think about it and uh, that and throwing and then working out. And then, yeah, there's only a couple more hours to uh, play my guitar, watch a show, Um, you know, read and go to bed and repeat. 
I love it. That's that's some healthy living. Cooking, musical instrument, reading. This is uh, you're a Renaissance man, Mike. <laughs> it's uh, you know something at least you, you realize that you might only have a portion of your life that you get to live on your own time. So you may as well uh, make use of that and uh, <laughs> do what you want when you want. Because you know when the day comes when you know you might have kids or whatever. I mean you you know Fender with uh, twin boys running around there. Um, the, uh, it, it gets to be quite a bit, so I think uh, I may as well enjoy this time while I can. Well done, a wise man, well beyond his years, to be sure. Uh, you are Mr. Soroka. Last one for you. Um, <laughs> ideal post career or post baseball career. You want to, you know, you're you're the chef, or you opening a restaurant, or you writing a book because you love literature, or you starting a an open mic and playing the guitar. Well, of those three things you mentioned, any of those? Uh, pique your interest beyond baseball uh i don't know about performing musically I don't, i'm not sure about that one um i've always thought about restaurants um i am a food lover um but the the problem i don't, I don't know if i'd want to be involved in day-to-day operations of a restaurant because uh i know those can get a little crazy um <laughs> you know maybe even a, a brunch spot where you only have to do it from 8 a.m to <laughs> one um that would probably be uh ideal um but i mean you never know sometimes sometimes some things come up in baseball and uh you know you get a uh, a good special assistant job or something like that and um you know you, you never know you never know what you want to do then too i mean hopefully that's a ways away and uh hopefully my my likes might change by the time that comes Mimosas at Sorokas. We're all in. A 2045. See you there, okay? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Appreciate the time today, Mike. Always good catching up. Uh, we know uh, this is the the, the future is unknown, and every day we're, it feels like the waiting game, but it sounds like you're taking the right approach, and we do uh, thank you for sharing some time. For sure. Thanks, thank you guys so much for having me. It's always always fun to be on with you guys. That is Atlanta Braves pitcher and Calgary product Mike Soroka with us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. Shop local uh, with our friends at Atlas Pizza and so many other great businesses who are keeping this city afloat uh, during this pandemic crisis. That'll do it for another day of Pinder and Steinberg. All of our guests up on sportsnet.ca slash 960. Uh, an hour buffer that at 7 o'clock tonight, Calgary Flames, Vancouver Canucks, Game 7, 1989, Smythe Division semifinals. Joel Otto, who we heard earlier this hour, plays a pretty big role in the outcome of that one. That's coming your way just after 7 o'clock on our Flames NHL Rewind. For Pinder, for Logan Gordon, my name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on the Sports Drive at 5, and Pinder and Steinberg will talk to you tomorrow on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.